You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the Binge Aftertaste. For whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. This ecto-containment system that Spengler and I have in mind is going to require a load of bread to capitalize. Where are we going to get the money? I don't know. Welcome to the Binge Movie Aftertaste Ghostbusters Retrospective Series. I'm just so glad you came back. <laughs> Join Garrett, Matt, and the returning soft voice Logan as they prove that no series is too big and no drink is too big for these aftertaste hosts. That's great! Actual physical contact! Why is Logan as grumpy on this series? as Bill Murray is on these sets. Give me angry. Will you, will you give me angry if you've had a bad day? You're cranky. What is the complicated tale behind the bringing of this cursed podcast series to life? You know, my dad says you guys are full of crap. And what are we expecting in the new Jason Reitman entry, Ghostbusters Afterlife? Does anybody speak English here? Uh, the answers to all these questions and more, all coming up courtesy of Binge Media. Sorry, Beckman. I'm terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. Ghostbusters Afterlife, released November 19, 2021. Budget was $75 million. Box office at press time is $63.9 million. And this was directed by Jason Reitman. Remember that time last summer, Matt, when we reviewed Ghostbusters? <laughs> Here we are. Finally back to review the... I guess at this time, finale of the series. But before I talk to Matt, I do have a little bit of business to take care of right off the bat. As people out there in Binge Land know, when we do these retrospectives, we have the same people doing them because I like to have the continuity of us three people watching one movie and then watching another in the series and watching another until it cultivates in the final movie of that series. And uh, this time, our normal third for the series, Logan, he has other stuff going on, which is perfectly okay. We understand that. But we have to get this review out, and I wasn't even going to do it. But after I came out of this movie on Saturday, I text Matt. I said, dude, I'm not waiting. I, we got to fucking talk about this because there's so much to get into. So that leaves the question, who is our third? Who do we turn to every time we're packed against the corner and we need somebody? Who is the one that will always say Who are yes? you going to call? You, you're going to call. We are here with Mr. Adam Bunch. Adam, how are you, sir? Wait, this isn't the Stephen King retrospective? <laughs> Fuck. No, no. We're... Hold off on that till next year, my friend. We are... Talking Ghostbusters, and you agreed to this, whether you want to. Well, because one show, we are the Ghostbusters. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Adam, you know, here we go. This is going to be a little, probably a little longer show than usual because everybody knows who's listened to those previous three shows what where me and Matt come from on the Ghostbusters series. Anybody who's in the binge Facebook group, anybody who's a Facebook friend of Adam's knows where he comes from when it comes to Ghostbusters. But let's hear from you on this show. <laughs> Sir, where do you stand when it comes to Ghostbusters? All right, Ghostbusters. So, original Ghostbusters, 1984. I'm... Six, seven years old when that movie comes out, and I've seen that movie, I can't even tell you how many times over the last 40 years of my life. I quote it incessantly. It's a regular watch. And in fact, I watched it, we watched it as a family right before we went to go see Ghostbusters Afterlife. So that first one, absolutely love it. I don't think there is much you can knock on that movie, but I'm also a huge fan of Ramis and so many of his other comedies as well. Stripes and Caddyshack. I mean, just Ramis and Murray together all the way through uh, the movie that broke him up. So, you know, huge fan there. Ghostbusters 2. I'm, you know what? I almost wish that I was on it. I can't stand that fucking movie. <laughs> I really can't. I want to like it. I, I, I don't even like it. I, I don't think that there's been a second good Ghostbusters anything before we talk about this one here. Ghostbusters 2, I just find it almost unwatchable at this point. Um, I really do. Uh, 2016, I think it had some great ideas, and I think it fell so flat because it wanted to be something that it just couldn't live up to. Great potential, very sloppy third act that cared more about really rushed, ugly special effects than making a movie that, that it cared about. I never saw the animated series, but I know some people absolutely love it. I know there's some nod to the animated uh, animated series in this even, but to me, there's not been a second good Ghostbusters anything, so I don't understand the overwhelming love for the franchise. There we go. Yep. In Adam's mind, Stay that first everybody. movie. <laughs> in Adam's mind, that first movie has carried this. Will that carry over into this one? Will we not like this one as well? Now, everyone also heard not mine and Matt's anticipation or lack thereof for this film. I I, I want to reiterate that. You know, when the first trailer came out, God was that almost two years ago at this point. I watched it and I thought, you know, it's amazing how big of a fan of Stranger Things Jason Reitman is because I got major Stranger Things vibes from it, not the least of which is because one of the kids from Stranger Things is in this movie. And I wasn't really anticipating this, but the closer this thing got, I have to say, uh, when they did the uh, New York Comic Con screening on August 23rd, I got stoked because there's a lot of good buzz coming out of that screening. Matt, you said you weren't really looking forward to this when we recorded Ghostbusters 2016 way back of probably, what, June or July at this point. When this was getting closer, did you have the same vibes? Were you actually looking forward to it as well? My vibes continued to trend in the negative direction. The Comic-Con screening is what tipped me off. I hate to be that guy, but when I heard this movie's going to make you cry, I rolled my eyes at the back of my skull like The Undertaker and said, when did Ghostbusters become such sentimental bullshit? That's not the vibes I get from the first movie at all. And everyone's saying, oh, this is for the fans. And just everything was, I was not getting good signs. Because if there's one thing I hate, two things. Sentimentality, when it's not earned. And this legacy sequel trend. And i got to blame Star Wars for this. Ever since Force Awakens, we have gotten this trend of bringing back older properties Granted, this, that idea has been nothing new, but the idea of bringing back old characters to sort of hand it off to a new generation, it's really 
become a pandemic, sort of like COVID, where you just want it to go the fuck away. And when I heard it carrying over into Ghostbusters, it set me off. Nothing about this movie excited me. I didn't care that Ivan Reitman's son was directing it. I didn't care about the cast. With all the shit that's happened with Ghostbusters ever since that first one, I just wanted to sit on the sidelines, and then lo and behold, this movie was actually coming out, and I'm like, oh, I do actually have to go see this. So I went in with the best of intentions, but there was not not a moment of anticipation on my part. Wow. Wow, that is about as negative as you can go into a screening. Adam, even given everything you said about you know you not really being a fan of anything past that first film, were you anticipating when we when we gave you the call and said said Adam, um, will you jump on this podcast with us? And you went, went right away said, "Yep, me are, are, me and the family are going." Were you actually looking forward to it, or were you thinking, "Shit, I can't believe they suckered me into another one of these fucking retrospectives." I'm gonna go with uh, Colin B there, Alex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take not very anticipatory for 800 Moreno. Um, <laughs> now it I was. There was two movies I was looking forward to going to this week um, when we did this. Uh, it was a birthday weekend. We knew we were going to go out to the theater, catch a movie. It's kind of a normal thing. And it was two choices. Well, I guess three, but I was not going to take my 10-year-old son to go see uh, One Night in Soho. So, so I got thrown out. Um, wife kind of uh, nicks that. Uh, but it was it was up to Eternals or Ghostbusters. And still haven't got around to Eternals. And it was like, you know what? I think we can shave about an hour off of theater time. And Matt and Garrett asked if, uh, if I'd jump on Ghostbusters. So I was like, you know what? It's going to be a great time to to show the kids the first one. I don't think they'd seen it in a time where they would remember it whatsoever. And, hey, let's watch the first one. Let's go see the second one. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go get some popcorn, get an icy, and have a day out with the family. I was... I knew that I'd be full of my Red Robin bottomless fries, and that was going to carry me through. And that's what I was looking forward to the most. Or put you to sleep, because those things are heavy as fuck. Yeah, they are. Like, if you saw Eternals, you would have fallen asleep. (laughs) Well, I guess this podcast will determine whether next time I see Laura, she kicks me in the shin or hugs me. I guess. I guess I dragged you guys to see this, apparently. Now, when you went, Adam, when did you go? Did you go yesterday? Went uh, Sunday Sunday evening about six o'clock. Okay, was it so? Was, it, what, was the theater packed or it was the theater? When I bought tickets and I bought them, I want to say I bought them Sunday morning. Maybe bought them Saturday night because we finished watching the original Ghostbusters and both kids were like, "That was really good." I'm like, "Okay, they're going to be in at least for the you know of anything. There's going to be people that they know. It's going to be their age. You know, I got a 13 year old daughter." Boom, I got a 10-year-old son. Like, it seems geared for them, you know, looking at the marketing for this. And I'd only seen a trailer once. For those that know, I don't care for the Rudd, sexiest man alive, uh, Paul Rudd. It, so knowing about the tear-jerking and all that, I didn't hear any of that, thank goodness. But when I bought the tickets, there was not a single other ticket bought. <laughs> looking at me worried. Um, but by the time we – by the time the movie started, it was – probably 75% full. It was a regular theater, did not spring for the IMAX because I was not going to pay 18 bucks a ticket for this. I bet that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> it was, there was only two of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah. There's not a big discount for for a ten year old going to the IMAX. That's a good point. Instead of eighteen fifty. <laughs> Great point. Um, I didn't have an extra Fandango gift card. Hook it up, Patriots. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a pretty pretty decently full crowd and pretty diverse crowd. I mean, it seemed like we had a bunch of people there on a date that would not shut the fuck up uh, just to the left of us. It looked like we had some people that were our age. It looked like some people that were uh, my parents' age. So. The thing kind of ran the age gamut, which was surprising to see. Now, Matt, you saw this opening night, correct? Not quite. I went Friday night. So I guess you could say first night for the masses, because I don't think most yeah. people go to Thursday nights the way that we used to go to midnight showings. Yeah, okay. So pretty much opening day. How was your theater? Pretty close to full, and we got our tickets ahead of time. You know, we sat down, we were, of course, back. There was maybe a space in between every group, like one seat, but for the most part, it was pretty packed. I think the Generations was pretty similar to Adam, although speaking of Adam, I love how he skipped the part of his story where his kid said, hey, Dad, what about Ghostbusters 2? And they said, I got the car! (laughs) (laughs) You know what? They knew that there was a Ghostbusters with the females in it, and they go, didn't we watch one that had girls in it? They didn't even ask about Ghostbusters 2. They do not know that thing that's going to be one of those things like, you didn't tell me my real dad, and they're going to be after you after <laughs> a set of years. <laughs> I told them the milkman will show back up one day. <laughs> yeah, I went with Jen. We went Saturday. We went to a 1230 show. Pretty much the same experience as Adam. We, when, we, when I bought the tickets, I bought them in advance. And um, it was, God, I think there were maybe six other tickets sold. And by the time we got there, we sat right at that front because I like sitting, as Adam knows, I like sitting where that railing is so I can put my feet up. We sat down, I looked up, and yeah, it was about the same, about 75-80% full. Uh, everybody was all set to jump into busting some ghosts. So, Matt, you're not a fan of Jason Reitman? No, I like Jason Reitman a lot. I just wasn't crazy about him directing this because he does predominantly small movies, and they're, they're, mm-hmm. very, they're very character-driven. And they're about people who are perpetual fuck-ups and have major issues in their life. Ghostbusters, as a property, doesn't really have that. So outside of the nepotism component and me liking Reitman's stuff, I didn't see a lot of reason why they got him. I mean, I didn't see a, a, a reason for this movie to get made. Let me be perfectly transparent. Because all these years... And we kind of talked about this before the 2016. There were all the talks about a Ghostbusters story, a true Ghostbusters story. And I I had an epiphany going into the theater for this. I'm like, I'm convinced Ghostbusters 1984 is the ultimate lightning in a bottle movie that you just cannot recapture. Because even Ivan Reitman couldn't do it. What was that, what was that movie he did with David Duchovny? Evolution. Um, Evolution. That tried to be Ghostbusters. It originally was. So, like... <laughs> Yeah, and so nobody's been able to get it right. And Reitman, Jason, while well, I like his stuff, I wasn't sure how this was going to pan out. Like, was it going to be Ghost right? <laughs> and then he said, uh, there was one comment, I think that's taken out of context, most likely. He said that this movie would hand the movie back to the fans. Yeah. And yeah, I was... to me, I was like, wow, way to just keep burying 2016 even more than it already has. Like, ugh. It well, just felt like the, he did, felt like the ultimate 180 from Stone, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, he did backpedal from that, by the way. When he, he when he attended that screening at the con, 
He did give Fag a lot of praise and said, thank you for breaking down the doors. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be standing here right now. And he did praise the fact that there have been a lot of female-driven movies since that movie was released. He did backpedal from that. But yeah, I saw that too, and I thought the same thing. But you know what? You saying that you were scared considering he worked on little films, that was the thing that kind of brought me to this movie and got me more excited for it because he's more of a character-driven director. I'm a fan of a young adult. Not a lot of people are. I really enjoy that film. I enjoy Tully. I enjoy The Air Up There a lot. I Hell, I, I even still enjoy Juno. I think that movie is a very enjoyable watch. The guy has a very good sense of how to make a character likable. And that was something that rose my anticipation level. Now, the thing that I would kind of backed against was I wasn't sure how he, this guy would handle paranormal effects and supernatural effects and special effects. So that was kind of a hindrance. But other than that, I was really looking forward to what he could do. Now, Adam, were you familiar with Jason Reitman before you uh, jumped in the theater for this? I was. Um, cer- certain movies of his. Um, Juno, obviously. And I'm a huge fan of Juno. I really am. That's one that... I mean, even, you know, back then, God, I, I can't believe that movie's almost 15 years old now. I know. Um, I know. But it's, you know, get, it's one that I saw after the hype, and I'm like, fine, fine, I'll see it. And it still lives up to expectations. So I, I that, that one I got a soft spot for. Uh, Thank You for Smoking, I actually really enjoyed that one quite a bit. Um, Totally, I thought was really well done. I think that's it that I've seen of his. Um, Haven't seen Labor Day. I know he Directed a bunch of episodes of The Office, but I've never seen yeah. The Office. But for the most part, yeah. But I can't think of anything where I can say, you know what, that's Jason Reitman. You know, there are certain directors where you're like, I'm going to follow that director. I don't know of anything he's going to put out where I'm going to say, I'm going to go see that because that's a Jason Reitman movie. It's just mm-hmm. not somebody I think of that way. And especially when it came to this, because... How fucking long did this guy go, I am never going to make a Ghostbusters movie because everybody expects me to, and it would be nepotism, and I'm never going to do that. And then he did. So it wasn't him that made me go see it. It was you, actually. Um, but who <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, they got, they got me excited. Paul Feig, I think, actually did a lot of good stuff with 2016. I think they should have held off a year and tightened up that fucking script, but I I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if he would do a Ghostbusters that wasn't a Force Awakens version of it. (laughs) And and one more more comment. Speaking of last night in Soho, you ever notice Jason Wright and Edgar Wright look very similar? (laughs) Yeah, they actually do. I'm serious. You look at pictures, they could be brought... And they've never yeah. been in the same room at the same time. All right. We've done the build-up. Let's finally get into Ghostbusters Afterlife. So we're right off the bat, we're getting the familiar strings from the first film. And uh, right away, we know we are in familiar territory. Right, guys? We got the familiar music. This is pretty much the same exact music that opened up that first Ghostbusters film. In fact, the same exact woman who did those strings in that first film, she did them in this as well. She played the exact same instrument. So we're right in familiar territory. Yeah. It is, and it, it kind of struck me the way that this thing starts uh, right out. The, and I'm, I am very glad that I saw Ghostbusters before watching this one. Hmm. Just because, you know, I don't know, it probably been two years at that point, but so many things right off the bat struck. And this movie from scene one, act one, <laughs> frame one, um, harkens back to that original Ghostbusters. And Matt, you were probably like, ah, fuck, here we go. 
Right. <laughs> he didn't start you off on the right foot, did it? <laughs> no, th- this this movie runs the gamut of what I consider to be acceptable fan service and unacceptable fan service. Like, it hits every degree. Th- this is the kind of stuff I like, where you... I have no qualms about you borrowing the score or using even the same color palette. That stuff doesn't bother me, because you have to re-inhabit the world that the first one was set in. Because even Ghostbusters 2, the same characters, but tonally, it's it's far more kid-friendly than the first Ghostbusters. This one, not a dark opening, per se, but it's definitely much more oh God, in spirit than the second one's opening. <laughs> We're kicking it off with a car chase, and we see the car, it lands in a field, and this figure in shadows, he walks into a house as an energy force surrounds him. Now, be honest, guys. Did you, did you guys know who this was from the outset? Because I, I swear to God, they, they keep this a mystery. They, we don't hear exactly who this is until about maybe an hour in. I honestly thought this was Ray in the opening of this film. I had no idea that this was Egon. Did you guys know it was Egon right away? From that silhouette, I did because the same hair. Uh-huh. And I knew that this was his estate based on the trailers. So I, I put the pieces together. And let me say also... I didn't know, because I, I didn't do a lot of research showing the who was going to cameo versus who wasn't. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be exclusively this new cast. And I, but yeah, this was, I, I, I guess it was evil. I'm like, all right, I see why they didn't show his face, because, you know, he's no longer with us. Although, <laughs> put a pin in that, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Adam, what about you? Did, you? did you have any idea that this was Egon, or did you just think this was Ray, or where, where were you standing on this? I didn't right off the bat. In a few minutes, when we get him in the chair, and we get that call back, and then we see the spirit fly out of the house, that's when I assumed, but I thought that was going to be it. I thought that was going to be the nod to Harold Ramis, that it was going to be, you know what, we're letting his spirit go off, and that was going to be how they did it. I, uh, As Matt said, we'll revisit that here in a bit, but that's, that's when I kind of figured out who it was. Now, Ray, that would have been an obvious choice to go with as well, especially based on his personal love of the occult. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's setting up here. It's, it's amazing how, you know, we're starting off with a frightening scene that original Ghostbusters started off with a frightening scene, but it kind of gets you right into it. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't wait to start this, you know, at full speed. Yeah. As people know, I don't read reviews uh, going into a podcast. I tend to stay away because I want to, come in with, a, with with my own set of instincts before I actually delve into what other people are saying about this. But what I did do was I listened to an interview, and I'll go ahead and give him a plug, an interview with Jason and Ivan Reitman on a podcast called The Real Blend. And what Jason Reitman said was he ran to Steven Spielberg, and Spielberg was like, so what are you working on next? And Jason Reitman was like, well, I'm kind of doing this new Ghostbusters. And Spielberg looked at him and said, that first movie, that library scene, still scares me. He goes, have fun trying to top that. And so, you know, he kind of went into this. He wanted to set this up just like that first movie. And I agree with you, Adam. I think this opening scene is very well done. I like the PKA meter showing up. I like the smoke entering the room. That's kind of spooky. And then we see this figure just taken out to God knows where, and the PKA meter is still continuing to go crazy. I want to say right off the bat, again, I was worried how Jason Reitman was going to handle the visual effects in this movie, but this is fantastically done, and the visual effects throughout this entire film I think are pretty outstanding. Yeah, agreed. I got no qualms there. It's amazing to me that this movie was done for less than half the budget 
of the Ghostbusters we got five years ago. Yeah. And the effects yeah. can look so much better. Now, yeah. agreed, there's less. Um, that one was full of random fucking ghosts at random fucking times. Where this one, much like the first one, there is very, very few actual ghosts that we're going to get. But the effects all the way through really work well. And the movie is shot really, really well. I got to give it that. I was surprised by, you know, it's modern. That original one was shot back in its day and, and looks how it is. This one, it's it's really nice to look at. And Matt, you brought up him talking to Spielberg. Are we sure this isn't Poltergeist 5 where Spielberg decided to come on and shoot this movie? Because it does have a lot of Spielberg feels going through <laughs> it as well. Oh, yeah, I definitely have comments about that as we go through it. Matt, what about you? Um, look and feel aside, how are you feeling about this introduction? It was calming my nerves. I thought this was going to open with something that took place at, like almost immediately after the first one, and they were going to do some de-aging crap with digitally de-aging Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray to make them look like they did in 1984. Because uh-huh. oh. I went into this movie, worst case scenario. <laughs> that was my... I hate to be that negative, but nothing I was seeing was winning me over until this. I thought this was a, a good way to open the movie, and I swear to God, if you put Amblin Entertainment instead of Ghost Core, I would, would have believed it, because so much of this movie feels like oh, I, yes. something they would have put out in the Yeah, and Jason Reitman's very vocal about that. He loves that era, and a lot of people our age, Adam, love that era of of film, and I'm one of them. I mean, go back and listen to our Gremlins podcast. I think I gave that almost a 10 out of 10. I I think I just love that era, and he he wanted to evoke as much of that feeling as possible in this because the original was made in that era. And I I think, for the most part, it goes rather well. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the film as it goes along. I mean, we're only at the introductory scene here. But, uh, yeah, you could definitely tell he watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind before he watched this, <laughs> before he started making this film. No shit. <laughs> we then uh, get our introduction to the family that we will be spending the entirety of the rest of the film with. We have Callie, Trevor, and Phoebe. How do we feel about this intro to who we will eventually know as Egon's family, boys? I'm not big on Finn Wolfhard. He was my least favorite part of It. I don't care for him a lot in Stranger Things. I've stopped watching Stranger Things at this point. So he's fine. The mother, I think the last time I saw her, she was getting killed in uh, Infinity War. <laughs> That's Proxima Midnight, for those that don't know. Um, but, it, I mean, she does amazing good work. But let's be honest, I mean, this movie is resting right on the shoulders of this daughter. And this movie oh. lives or die with her. And I can't believe how fucking well they cast this, this young woman, this girl right here, because... She not only steals the show, but she does a really impressive job carrying this movie. She's exclusively the show, if you ask me, because she is the only one of these new characters I liked. Wow. Really? I, you didn't I, like I, Carrie uh, Coon at all? Carrie Coon, I like her as an actress a lot, but this mom is such a despicable human being. Yeah, she's an asshole. She's condescending to everybody. She doesn't try to make the most of her situation. She doesn't actively try to go get a job to go support her family once they get evicted. There's nothing for me to latch onto with her. And Finn Wolfhard just feels like a placeholder. It's like we yeah. cast him because he's popular. We're not going to give him anything to say. He's ostensibly the Bill Murray character where he's just there to make snarky comments. But A, and, and to also be the poon hound of everybody because he's after <laughs> a girl. But they give him nothing funny to say. And he's sidelined through a good portion of the movie just doing nothing. And what he is doing, like fixing the car later on, 
We're not aware he has any interest in mechanic work. It just mm-hmm. happens because the script needs it to happen. Now, the girl, on the other hand, I think performance-wise, she is absolutely terrific. But speaking of Amblin, mm-hmm. one of my I, I hate super genius kids in movies. It, it drives me fucking nuts. No 12-year-old knows how to rewire the electricity in an entire old abandoned house. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, we're, we're not going to hear about the dad for a while, but she doesn't have a father figure in her life. She has grown up around this woman who, as you guys have said, is a complete asshole to not her kids intentionally, but, you know, she's trying to do what she's doing and not really paying that much attention. Uh, she has a brother who, God, you talk about a character that annoyed me. He was the one of this cast that annoyed me. But her I went with because she is trying to find something to do. She's trying to find something productive to do. This is what she found herself into. She studied. Uh, there's access. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that, that I could actually go with with this character. I was with you at first, Matt. I really was. The glasses, I'm thinking, okay, they're trying to evoke Egon because she's wearing the same exact fucking glasses. I get it. But then as, the, as it went on, and uh, I, I think this character grows. And I think that's what Jason Reitman does so well if you watch his movies is there are characters in his movies that have an evolution to them. Watch Up in the Air and watch Anna Kendrick and the way she evolves from just this total bitch character to somebody you sympathize with. That is his talent to me. And this character is that with me. Now, she doesn't start off as a snarky bitch like Anna Kendrick does. She starts off as somebody who is just off-putting. She's just in her own little world. And instead of thinking of ways to blow things up, she's thinking of science, you know, because she is Egon's granddaughter. I get that. I can go with that. Now, Adam, solve this mystery. Solve this argument. Are you with this character more, or are you more on Matt's side where you just don't believe in it? I like it from the get-go. I don't have an issue with it. I get that she's off on her own little thing, but you know what? I got a 13-year-old daughter who's finding herself and is exploring little things. So I had an avatar sitting right next to me in the movie theater who also was really struck by this character. And that meant the world to me. And it's great that I get that kind of thought process to this as well. When I looked up McKenna Grace, who plays this later, it's amazing how many times I've seen her and not realized yeah. that I've seen her in movies. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, I know we all saw her in I, Tanya. Um, she's in Malignant. She was in, what is it? Captain Marvel. So she's done a lot, and I, I think she's going to have a much bigger future. But as a character, I, yeah, I dig it right off the bat. I get Matt's point that she's, you know, she's that wonder kid that that shows up, which is funny because she's also been in Young Sheldon. <laughs> but it doesn't bug me because I do see, hey, this is 12-year-old, 13-year-old Egon, which is clear that's what she's supposed to be. We see that Callie is getting evicted. So they head out to Egon's old estate, which he left them. Question, boys. This entire franchise has been built on the foundation as kind of a love letter to New York. This entire film takes place in Oklahoma. Are we liking that change of scenery? Yes. Because there's only so much you can do with New York ghostbusting. The last three movies took place in New York. I'm glad they went to small town, middle of nowhere, not much to do, scenic America. This is a change I welcome. It, for me, I figure they go to Oklahoma, which means that we get to do the Oklahoma musical next, and that's going to get our musical retrospective that Matthew and I have been asking for. So, yeah, I'm happy. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely time for a change. Um, I think it would have been time for a change last time. If they were in the city, it could have been 
different that, hey, you got kids growing up in the city, but we've seen it, and we've seen it three times. If you watch the animated series, you've probably seen it 50 times. So, yeah, I'm fully on board with us going out to, um, well, might as well be Utah on Close Encounters, um, but going out here to this to this farm. But, yeah, it, it changes it up enough also. You know, yes, we're going to get a lot of the same beats, but we're at least going to change some things to make it fresh. We see that there are random earthquakes, and Callie tells them that they are indeed staying here longer than the week that she originally told them. There's a knock on the door, and, ah, here's our first cameo, Annie Potts as Janine Milnes, and she just shows up to, I guess, welcome them to Egon's debt. That's not how (laughs) debt works, everybody. (laughs) Debt does not carry to the next generation. (laughs) This was a very weird cameo. I gotta say, you know, we're we're gonna talk about the people who who show up later, but this was, man, this was odd. Of all the cameos, this was not the one I thought they would go to in the first inning. No. Yeah. With that said, she does have one of my favorite lines of the movie when she asks, so the house worthless? She's like, well, apart from the sentimental value, yeah. She still got that dry <laughs> wit. Yeah. But I'm a bit confused as to what her role is. Is she the manager of Egon's estate? Were they ever in a relationship? There's no... Real indication as to why she's there. And to be fair, all of the characters that come back, there's never really an explanation as to how they get to where they are when they stay active. Yeah, because Kelly even asked, do you run his estate? And she goes, there is no estate to run. So it's like, does that mean yes? Like, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, I'm with you guys. That, that was I'm weird. here for an obligatory cameo. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, especially in that first one, it's kind of clear that, you know, Janine and Egan kind of had a thing together, you know, or that if you were going to hook anybody up, that it would be them. So, but then in the next one, yeah. she hooks up with Moranas. So it's just it place, uh, it's just, it's Yeah, so but this this one really, uh, yeah. But you know what? Yeah. No, fuck it. This is how, it does not acknowledge G2 whatsoever. Yes, it does. No. There, does there's it? one. There's only one way it connects. It's the bookstore. Oh, you're right. Ray, Ray is still at the occult bookstore, but that's it. There's no yeah. mention of Ego. They talk like there was only one. Only one paranormal, instance. There was only one paranormal instance. Like yeah. this is this is what I was afraid of partially. I am so tired of these franchises. I don't care what it is. You cannot pretend that certain movies didn't happen just because the fans didn't like them. Mm. You have to own it. Smart people know how to play yes and instead of playing no but. And that's what this movie does. It just plays no but and shoves member berries down your throat until you fucking choke. We cut to Reitman partially remaking American Graffiti as Trevor enters this diner trying to get a job. I got a real kick out of the line Phoebe utters here as her mom <laughs> says that she will make a friend here and she responds, make them out of what? <laughs> that was pretty great. Again, McKinnon Grace is just fantastic. Trevor tells the diner that he is indeed 17, which we'll come back to later. And Callie is told for the first time of many times that no one really knew her father, but they knew of him, or as he's called in one of many running jokes in this film, the dirt farmer. So this whole scene, it's very chaotic. 
Definitely, it definitely warmed me up to the family, though. I'm finding the setup to this movie and these characters very intriguing. Matt, you and I, and Adam recently, actually, as we do this King retrospective, we've been pretty vocal in past shows about how hard it is to like a movie if there isn't a character to like on screen. These characters are pretty great in my eyes. Now, Matt, you're still on that road where you just don't like this Phoebe character, but are you actually warmed up at all at this point to anybody? Don't, first of all, don't, don't trust my words. I said I like the actress. I, I know. Like oh no! I know. Line. I know what you said. You just don't like the character. I know. No, I, I just think she's too. She's too perfect. She's got race syndrome. Speaking of Star Wars, oh boy, where oh, she boy. can just do things because she's the script appoints her to do that. And, and Finn Wolfhard probably is seventeen when they filmed this, but it's been shelved yeah. for so long that <laughs> he probably could get an actual job now. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> Stephen King. Because it's amazing that this is this movie has a King reference. Yeah, there are there are a ton. Great, great point. And and Adam, same. Like you're pretty warmed up at this point. Like, are you intrigued or how are you feeling at this point? I'm liking the family. I don't understand this diner and why. Because I keep thinking it's going to play a part later on in the movie, and it doesn't. So other than introducing us in it, fuck, this is going to come off wrong. If you are going to have a diversity casting appointment only for that reason, it feels pretty fucking offensive. Because this girl, this woman that they cast in here is lucky, Celeste O'Connor, does a really, really good job. And for some reason, she's the only black person in Oklahoma that we see in this entire fucking movie. Seconds, her father's black. Sorry. sorry. Is it a nod to Winston that it's a, this is the one... That we get in the in fucking New York City, but it just it's it screams out, especially later on when all the kids are together and they're all the same race except for one person. It, it, she's the one that has lines. It it just really bugs me because I don't think it's fair to that character or that actress to put somebody in for that reason, especially when it's just like here, we're going to put you in a tight top for a little bit to get Finn's wolf hard, because it doesn't <laughs> do much until the very, very end, so I guess she is Winston, but I don't know. That was a weird part for me. Like, I liked her, and then I just didn't like what Reitman decided to do with it. Interesting. But I it, never put her yeah. and Winston together, but that's an interesting callback. But, you know, when we discussed, and Matt brought it up about, you know, Finn being a, um, you know, this mechanical genius later on, what this should have been was she should have been a, a fucking grease monkey in, in a garage with her dad. Yeah. And that's where he should have got a job because then that would have made sense. But, Good point. you know, yeah, I guess this was all of, I, I don't know. I didn't understand the diner part because it just seemed out of place. Trevor comes back and hears some commotion going on in the shed out by the house. He enters it and we get something that would be drawn out for a lot of the picture. The mystery of what exactly is in here. Phoebe moves a chess piece and then tells a joke on the way to school, which she is not looking forward to going to. I do like Phoebe's jokes in this. <laughs> a- Adam, Adam, you know my fucking girlfriend. She was fucking dying every single joke she told, especially one we'll get to later on, which I actually made a note of. Like it was, I thought she was pretty funny actually. Like this, again, this is the kind of character this is, you know, just introverted and comes up with these jokes. She's really making me laugh with these. Her delivery, like her fucking timing, is dead on. Um, she's got dad jokes timing like a son of a bitch. So, you know, <laughs> something like me and Matt, that's got a hit. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's – yeah, I mean, she's really selling it. And it's for somebody introverted, and she's trying, and it's it's endearing. And it's making me endearing to her so much more as the movie goes on. 
Matt brings up the point. Yeah, she's she's infallible, but it's her quirkiness just really works. This is when we meet Adam's favorite actor, Paul Rudd. He he shows up uh, in this movie. He intros himself to Callie and then says no one wants to be there. So he introduces a movie that we'll be talking about a few years from now, Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> I you know what Paul Rudd is Go a ahead. substitute teacher. It's big. It's big hot, big wet American summer. He's a fucking substitute teacher. <laughs> Don't think Reitman wasn't thinking about that when he cast this. You know what? I'm not the world's biggest Rudd fan either, but I gotta say, I really got a kick out of him in this. He he was delightful. He tends to run me the wrong way. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> because yes, he's a very likable screen presence. Until you realize that's all he's asked to do. I really want him to get that Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine or Will Ferrell in. in Stranger Than Fiction, where he gets to stretch himself. All I see is Scott Lang now. That's all I see. That's mm-hmm. all he's been asked to do with. That was the reason I kind of wanted him to be in Halloween Kills instead of Anthony Michael Hall. As much as I fucking despise that piece of fucking garbage that they call it a movie. Uh, God, I'm so mad I wasn't on that show, because I, I would have just been yelling for an hour and a half. But playing, like, going back to a horror movie and not playing it for yucks would have been something I would have liked for him to do. He's fine here, but I've seen it a million times. Also, <laughs> I appreciate that Jason Reitman wants to connect everything to our show in the same way that he wants to connect everything to the original. <laughs> but it's getting old, guys. <laughs> you know what? But they put him in front of an entire freeze in a freezer of Baskin-Robbins ice cream. <laughs> oh, I caught that, too. That's right. And even my <laughs> kids were laughing. This is when we meet podcast as he gets an assessment of Phoebe, and they start a back and forth. I do like this interaction, and these characters are great together. Adam, how do you feel about this character of podcast? I thought he was fucking fantastic. You know, he shows up, and right away I'm like, oh, this kid's going to annoy the fuck out of me. And he doesn't, and I can't believe no. he doesn't. But he, he makes me laugh, and I don't know if it's – he's playing it earnest in a way that's just really enjoyable, or it's that they have chemistry together, which is amazing for two young actors around the same age. But, yeah, he it uh, – fuck, it makes me laugh. The way that he's got his mic, you know, this giant fucking dick mic that he's got, directional mic, directional (laughs) mic, um, that he's got, like, in a holster. It's just, holy crap, it makes me, which is funny, because my kids also looked over and was like, ha ha, podcast. (laughs) 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 Got two kids for sale, everybody. Um, But it's just, I, I, yeah, I warmed up to him right away, just like Phoebe did, I guess. I got very worried when he first started talking because all I thought, I don't know if this makes me a subconscious racist, but all I saw was fucking Data from the Goonies. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, I was like, oh no, he's going to be the tech, the techno babble kid to explain all the, all the stuff. But the thing I liked about him the most, he's the only one that is generally wowed whenever they experience yeah. something supernatural. Yeah. Like he's the one that feels the most like, like a kid. He feels like, because all these characters have certain archetypes or counterparts to the original. He feels like the Ray, where he's just, this, like, he's an actual kid, so he can act like a kid and not come off as creepy like Dan Aykroyd. And the fact that he, the fact that he's called Podcast, I thought that joke would get old really quick. But the fact that they never say his real name makes it <laughs> funnier. 
That's true. I agree. I looked for it when I was putting the cast together and everything. I was putting my notes together. I looked for it because I was going to call him by his real name, but then I'm looking and nobody, there's no mention of his real name. So it's, he's actually listed on IMDb as podcast. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I'll just go by that then. And hell, I mean, I'm sure Matt, you, me, and Adam, we've probably gotten that throughout our, our lives of people who know that we podcast. Hell, I think my girlfriend's done it to me a couple of times. You know, it's just like, hey, it's podcast boy over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Callie is once again reminded her father was a dirt farmer. <laughs> this joke just... You talk about a joke that gets old. This gets old kind of quick. And we cut to an intense scene in Cujo, and Phoebe talks to Gruberson about seismic activity. Adam, I know you're not a Rudd fan. I've been back and forth on him his entire career. Uh, I kind of like him here. Adam, did he win you over with this role? Paul Rudd is somebody that I he, I like Ant-Man and the Lost a million times more than Ant-Man because of every other character that's in it. Less Rudd is always better. That said, I think he's really freaking good in this. Wow. I think he's funny. I think he's affable. I think he's used to a really good amount. Even this part where the kids are watching the movie and him and Phoebe start talking about seismic activity and he's wowed by her and, and, and I've, I want to sit there with my arms crossed over my popcorn, and I'm just I'm enjoying him in this movie, and I can't fucking believe it. Um, so sorry, wow. everybody, you lost that on the bingo board, but I really like him in this. That's shocking to me. I was expecting a fucking fight because I, I'm I'm with you. I really liked him too. They start talking about how this town with no fault lines has seismic activity, and Phoebe comes to the conclusion that it must be the apocalypse while she tells an obtuse geometry joke. (laughs) 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 And I love the wink, too. I love the touch of the wink. That was great. Triangle jokes are so acute. (laughs) (laughs) Triangle is checked on... Adam took that from you. Trevor is checked on by Lucky, who gives him her boyfriend's coat to warm him up. We then see podcast ask Phoebe to tell him a joke on his podcast, and she tells her polar bear joke with the Ghostbusters Bernstein theme playing in the background. Now, let's address. Now, Matt, you've already touched on this, but I'm going to go ahead and expand on a little bit. Let's address our overall feelings on the callbacks in this movie, which this thing definitely has. Now, those who have been listening to this show for a while know that I, I, I hate being pandered to. Um, and something like The Force Awakens, which this movie has been vastly compared to, is very guilty of that while failing to tell a good story. With the exception of one massive callback later that is just too in your face, I think they're pretty well done here. And it starts with the music. I think the music in this movie is fantastic. I think they integrate the old themes with new themes very well. And unlike The Force Awakens, I'm also very invested in this story. Matt, how do you feel overall about the callbacks in this thing? I first have to begin by differentiating between the callbacks versus just it's a part of the property. You know, stuff like the proton packs and the Ecto one, you have to have that. It's akin to having light, like lightsabers. That stuff's fine. And the callbacks, the fact that there's so many is both a positive and a negative because some of them are so small that it borders on obsessive. Like you see a crunch bar later in this movie, mm-hmm. which is like. Uh, like a five-second scene in the original. Of course, there's going to be a Twinkie in the glove compartment. There's musical callbacks. None of those I really liked. And, and there's one that made me turn on this movie. I'm going to, I'm going to say there's a, there's a demarcation point in this movie where I go from 
being mildly amused and just fuck this movie because of something that happens. Like, the, like a, there's a clear moment. I can pinpoint it when you get to it. But I think the legacy characters are used much better in Force Awakens than they're shoehorned into this movie. Wow. I can't wait to hear what that point is with you. Adam, what about you? Did the callbacks kind of get a little insistent with you? I mean, I've heard people say that it just got too much. And, you know, even Matt said earlier that it just boiled down to just too many. And it it kind of affected their feelings on this movie. What about you? Did you enjoy the callbacks in this after you had just seen the first Ghostbusters? I enjoyed the callbacks. Like Matt, I do think there's some that are out of place, don't need to be there. The the crunch bar was one. I'm like, who the fuck has a crunch bar in like Yeah. What like why? Okay, why? The Twinkie, okay, you know, kinda cute, but some of those were unnecessary and I take you out where it's like, Okay, come on. But the meter, you know, things like that. The chair at the beginning, you know, I mean the arms go through the chair with Egum the same way that they did with Dana. You know, right through there through that recliner so those i think yeah those work well they're nice nods they're i mean this is an easter egg fest from from credit to credit some of them work really well some of them are just because he's like ha ha did you see this hey did you see this because i'm going to put it fucking center on screen nothing's hidden in the background for an easter egg um subtlety is not this movie's strong point so <laughs> but, <laughs> but the ones that bug me slip by me pretty quick. Like, they don't piss me off. They are disappointing, but they don't piss me off. So Phoebe tells Podcast that she doesn't believe in ghosts, to which he takes her to a massive set of mine shafts where a big curse supposedly dwells. We cut to Trevor, who has uncovered the Ecto-1, and he calls it a shitbox. We go back to Phoebe, who tells Podcast that she'll check out his podcast, to which he gives her a thumb drive and says, it doesn't hit its stride until 46 episodes in. Matt, have we hit our stride yet? <laughs> I, I got to do the math. You know, I got to oh say, my God. And, this is, and this is when watching the original one again, and I've seen that movie, you know, like I said, over a dozen times. I don't think I ever paid attention to the fact, other than this time, that there was special steel used to make Dana's building. For the first time ever, I caught it. And then they get to this place where there's a mine. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, shit, that's how this ties together. Is Obviously, it was mined from this area and i can't believe how that was able to work into why this place matters you know it's not just the close encounters looking mountain but for some reason you know the steel for dana's building which got brought up at 84 you know when they're looking at the plans that it matters and shit that is actually brilliant writing Good point. You know, we, we, we have to mention, we didn't talk about this in the beginning, but uh, Jason Reitman did write this script with somebody named Gil Keenan, who he wrote he, and directed a movie called Monster House, which is a very well-liked animated oh, film. From, it's really fucking good. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, he also did the Poltergeist remake, which, Matt, you and I will probably cover pretty soon, uh, sometime in the future. Uh, I definitely have feelings on that. But, uh, you know, I, I think they put the connective tissue in this, and for the most part, I think it works really well. And, Adam, you hit on exactly what, what was going to be my next point, is this connective tissue to this building is fucking amazing. I, I love the way they integrated this, because we're out in the middle of fucking Oklahoma. What the hell does this have to do with New York? What the hell does this have to do with Ghostbusters? Why would Egon come here? They answer that question, and uh, you're right. That is very good writing. So Phoebe comes home and sees that someone or something has made a move on her chess game, so she moves a piece again, and she finds the PKA meter and Ghost Trap. 
You know, one thing about movies like this, boys, is, uh, you know, everything in them more often or not feels a little forced. Like we talked about callbacks. Some of those definitely feel forced in this. Here, I think Reitman and Keenan have done a nice job of formatting the script so that each discovery made feels organic. And it makes where these characters end up more believable to me. They do, even when I can see it coming like a coming next week poster. I mean, I see the chessboard before she goes to bed. You know, and you might as well have put a, hey, ghost dad is going to, ghost granddad is going to move a piece. You know, there was no surprise there whatsoever. However, was I upset about it? No. And I knew it was coming and it still didn't bug me. I thought it was really cute. The, the finding of the, of the ghost trap I thought was a little weird because there's so much other stuff that isn't hidden. And there's something big later that does get hidden, which I find hard to believe they wouldn't have walked around the land at all. Uh, <laughs> but, I could have used a little more right there to figure out why there's the, you know, and it's a puzzle and it's, you know, it's that type of puzzle we've seen where you move things around, but it doesn't focus enough that she's figuring out this puzzle. Something, you know, something like that could have been extended a little bit. I don't need this movie any longer, but I'm trying to figure out what else could have been cut other than excising her brother completely from the film. But it's, I like it. You know, it's not a surprise. It goes with the character and we know we're going to get the ghost trap. You know, mm-hmm. from the one trailer that I saw, I assumed that all the changes and updates was going to be something that these kids made, and I was prepared to roll my fucking eye, and it wasn't that which kind of blew me away. Uh, this is where they stop being characters. These things are only introduced to then reintroduce something else from the original movie. There's no real new discovery. When the characters find stuff, it's nothing pertinent to this movie exclusively. None of this movie feels like they're introducing stuff that is new or interesting to the overall kid, because so much of it is preceding material. The PGE meter, the proton packs, all that stuff. And every time they're referenced, I'm just reminded of, oh yeah, I like this better when I saw it in the original because it was new and fresh. To, to compare it to Force Awakens again, I think the way that movie does do some new things with some of the some of the tech. Like you have a Kylo Ren's lightsaber has a texture to it that we've never seen before. There's nothing like that. Everything just feels so been there, done that. We cut to Rudd's class as he's now showing child's play, and we see that Phoebe has taken the ghost trap to him. Guys, I don't know. At this, this is when I really started getting that Amblin feel. You know, this this whole movie. It's not only a love letter to Ghostbusters, but as we've already pointed out, it, it has it has it's a love letter to Amblin as well. Rudd shows them the YouTube video of the Ghostbusters in New York, and we see them setting up a rig to open the trap. They spark the trap up using school buses, and then it opens to a ghost making its way to the mountains. Podcast introduced earlier. I don't know. This was kind of uh, kind of amusing. You know, I, I like the fact that Rudd. You know, Rudd's a fanboy. You know, Rudd, Rudd's somebody who he remembers these Ghostbusters back in '84. You know, he remembers that they saved New York. So he sees this trap. He's automatically thinking it's a replica. Oh no, it's the real fucking thing. And then they, um, for some reason, they decide to open it, and up oh, they just unleashed another ghost. Were you guys expecting Slimer here? Yeah, that that's exactly who I thought was coming out of that was going to be Slimer. Like I had no doubt. So that it's actually kind of a fright. I mean, this this movie is not one for scares. You know, the original Ghostbusters is clearly a horror comedy, more comedy than horror. This one is a family drama comedy. Um, 
but this is one little quick little fright when it comes out of there. But yeah, Slimer is exactly what I thought was coming out. And I'm surprised that we don't get it, and instead we get a dust mite here in a little bit. But yeah. This scene ties into my problem about these characters having a lack of bewilderment. It's so matter of fact once that ghost pops out of the um, out of the trap. Like no one's like, Oh my god, did you see that? Like everyone's like, Oh, I it's a ghost, we have to go after it. Like there, there's not that sense of wonder, which is one thing Amblin movies do very well. Even the ones I don't like. I'll, I'll go to the granddaddy E.T. When Elliot first discovers E.T., it's awesome for you as the viewpoint, too, because Spielberg does a good job of putting you alongside him. Here, the self-discovery is more based out of plot than it is out of character, to tie into my previous argument. And Adam's right. I don't know what genre this is, because as a comedy, it's not very funny. It's not scary. There's no edge to it. Like It feels more like Ghostbusters 2 in tone than it does the first one. Like, this one feels... I was shocked this was PG-13. Yeah, I was feeling... I don't know if fright is the word. Dread is more what I was feeling towards the end of this thing. But I hear what you guys are saying. When it comes to this character coming out, though, it's funny. I'll go back to that interview that Jason Reitman gave. And when they asked him, you know, so why wasn't Slimer in this? He goes, well, Slimer's in New York. This is Oklahoma. And that was like his go-to answer. You know, like everything's in New York. You know, we're, we're at someplace else right now. I like this new character quite a bit. You know, I don't know if these are bullets that come out of his mouth later or if they're nails or what, but that, that, that was a kind of cool touch. And to go back to the wonder, Matt, I think that was set up by the fact that they were expecting this because Rudge showed them the video of the Ghostbusters saving New York. And they have felt the earthquakes and Phoebe's been discovering exactly what Egon's been doing, was doing in that 30 or so years time between films. Uh, so I didn't have as much a problem with that. I mean, when it comes to E.T., Elliot didn't know what to expect when he went out in that backyard and saw this alien in his face. I think the wonderment is... As you said, it's more plot-driven, but I went with it because of the way Reitman sets it up. So they head to her uh, to Phoebe's grandfather's house, and they find an Aztec death whistle, which Podcast blows, much to Callie's dismay. She takes Gruberson on a tour of the house as Podcast tells Phoebe that Gruberson is trying to bone your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Funny stuff here. Podcast then goes over to Legend of Gozer. More on that later. Meanwhile, Lucky and Trevor, they head to the mountains... And he uh, lets her know that the real reason his family is there is because they were getting evicted as uh, spirits awake and escape this, what, well? What exactly are we at here? This is where continuity supervisors, script supervisors, should have said, hey, how come yeah. they walked in the mountain, but you have to drive up and dock down, but you're in the uh -huh. same area? Because I tried to figure this shit out later, and something got missed. Yeah, somebody was not paying attention when they were... This movie has a lot of contradiction, not just in the in this, but there's also information later on in the movie we're explicitly told that is contradicted by a post-credit scene of all fucking things that <clears throat> I did not sit through because I didn't realize there were any. I didn't either. Callie shows Gruberson an old map of Somerville as Phoebe takes the PKA meter into the barn and slides down a pole. She finds creature samples and even the Ghostbusters outfits along with the Nestle Crunch bar that you guys just love so much. This was weird, because you're right, you guys are right. That was just like a one-line bit. And uh, Jason Reitman makes this pretty prominent. And then, of course, some of the same glasses that she wears. 
She watches the Ghostbusters ads on YouTube as Callie walks in and tells her she's thinking of going to dinner with Gary Gruberson, to which Phoebe just laughs. Meanwhile, Podcast sets up some targets and they turn on the Proton Pack. I gotta say, boys, I love how we are seeing the inner workings of the Proton Pack. We never even saw the on switch on these fucking things before. I love how like these inner workings are so nicely done, I think. I, I, I've always wondered about this. As a kid, I made up my own fucking Proton Packs, and I would have my own on and off switch, and they're actually doing it here. And I like that, you know, she's f- blasting these things away to smithereens. I don't know. I like the scene a lot. How about you guys? Before we go to that, the scene beforehand when the light is guiding her on how to reactivate the proton pack and you, uh-huh. you can, you're, you're smart enough to read between the lines to know what that is. I was praying that was the last we were going to see of Egon as a manifestation of the paranormal. I'm like, this is, this is classy. This is respectful. Please don't tip the hands of fate any further. Keep, keep, keep your hands to yourself until we get to the end of this discussion. As far as testing the equipment, this felt fine. I've seen a proton pack before. Matt brought up something that, that I was going to, and this is where I agree with him earlier, is Phoebe goes... Up. <laughs> <laughs> Phoebe goes from, no, I don't believe in ghosts, to seeing the ghost to, here's ghosts down in this basement helping me do this. And doesn't change her demeanor whatsoever about it. Never gets surprised. Never get and that should it should bug me, and I can't believe it doesn't. I do like the taking apart of the proton pack. We see it upgraded. We see you know it's been twenty years. This is what you know what this is what fucking Star Wars didn't do is we had the uh-huh. we had the exact same shit a generation later, and the fucking Republic couldn't upgrade their goddamn ships. So at least yeah. this changes a little bit. Um, and it was one man doing this. But it, it's a sweet, sentimental moment, and we know what it is. She doesn't, so I'm surprised there's not a little... If she's a scientist, she should want to figure this out, and I think they could have went that way. But again, what do you cut out to make that happen? You uh, could have something here I can about... Tell you exact, I could tell you exactly what the cut out. <laughs> Three quarters of the movie for you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, give it they, 20 minutes. Actually, a like quarter. I was gonna say I'm gonna th- I'm gonna say a quarter of it, but they Go you know ahead. you could have had something about science versus faith here that I think could have been a sweet little sentimental moment as well. But I think they're playing it safe, you know, in the, in that kind of regard. When it gets to it, I had fun, and when they're doing the proton pack and setting it up, yeah, I have a fun time with it. Adam, to go back on what you were saying, it doesn't change her attitude towards the ghost. But I think what it does is it changes her demeanor because I think now she realizes what her purpose is. I think the fact that she was so smart was making her into a, to my eyes, delightful character, to Matt's eyes, kind of an annoying character in that she knew everything. But she didn't know why she knew everything. Now she knows why. Like Now she has the purpose. And I think from here on out, her demeanor's changed, and she's more of a leader for lack of a better word. And I think that's what I'm seeing as far as character evolution goes. So they hear a noise and walk in, seeing slime in the doorways, and they hear some commotion. Now this is much like the setup in the library in the first film. They crawl around as Podcast blows the Aztec whistle. He yells back, spraying, what are these, bullets? Uh, She shoots him in the air, and Podcast can't get the trap to stand right at first, and then the ghost gets away. Pretty nice little scene. I, I do like the fact that we saw in that first film that when they put out that trap, it, it was always perfect. Like, they always had it right underneath. Here, fucking Podcast Ride is doing it. The trap falls on its side. Like, they can't get it right. I thought that was kind of amusing. What about you, Matt? 
this ticked me off. And I'm going to tell you why. The movie goes out of its way to give so many callbacks and to immediately say, we're going to give you Slimer, but not the real Slimer. Are you, are you going to be that picky? Just you commit to everything else, but this is the one piece of the original that you don't 100% copy. Go fuck yourself. Again, Jason Reitman ex- explained that by saying, Slimer's in New York. We're in Oklahoma. If you're going to go out of your way to copy so much of that original movie, how do you not copy Slimer as well? Sorry. If, if they're going to copy what they've done before, I'm going to copy Matt's sentiments here as well. <laughs> <laughs> One, you walk in there. Of course it's Slimer. We know it's Slimer. My kids are ready for Slimer. I don't like the design of this guy. It's a dust mite. I'm trying to figure out, and it took me the rest of the movie to figure out what he looks like, and it's a dust mite. So... Either make something completely different or make it Slimer. He's blue instead of green. He's got a couple different legs, and yes, he shoots the metal that he eats. The original was a tribute that his dad put in there because, or Raymond's put in there because of, um, because of who they wrote. What's that? John Belushi, right? Yeah, because it was, it was a nod to Belushi who, you know, the movie was written in regards for. So either do the same thing or make it completely different. This is the half measure that fails for me. Um, you don't do it different enough. You don't mimic it enough. So I just, I don't see a point. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I, nope, this guy bugs me. And then when it shows back up later, it bugs me even more. I, nope, uh-uh. Muncher? Yeah, he rug Muncher. I don't like this thing at all. Wow. Meanwhile, Trevor's holed up trying to fix Ecto-1. He finally gets it to start up, and he takes it for a spin. Uh, We find out that he failed his driving test, but Podcast and Phoebe get in the car anyway. Drives amazingly well for failing his driving test. (laughs) Hey, he was out in a field, not going anywhere. (laughs) I did like when it took off, though. That one did make... But, like so many things, and I'm sure Matt would agree, this did feel like um, Jason Reitman... Doing a woohoo! This is his. I got the keys to the car moment, right? This is yeah. I'm taking this thing out into the field. And good point. You know, it, it's a it's a nice moment. I like going through the field. Um, it's amazing that a dirt farmer's got such valuable land all around. So I don't know which where his property line is because <laughs> there's like <laughs> corn all around this place. And I live in Brentwood, and corn is very expensive out here. Um, but I, I did like him tearing off through the cornfield. It, it was a nice little moment. Um, my son kind of pumped his hand a little bit seeing Ecto-1 take off, which, you know, that made it really special for me as well. And they do something different here with what I like with the gunner seat. Yes. Um, and also the, using the little, like, remote car to guide the oh, track. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the kind of recontextualizing that I wanted more of. And that I thought was going to – I thought the kids were going to make it, and I was like, oh, fucking kids come in, update this shit. I was really glad that they didn't, that Egon, or as we find out later, the team kept working, and they had, you know, continued to evolve their their material as they went. You know, they they find the RC car. They find the gunner seat. They don't add it themselves. I like, um, by the way, uh, that gunner seat was actually a nod to the cartoon because that was used in the cartoon. It was in the animated, yeah, real Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking I of, like uh, I was thinking of like Ninja Turtles with the man. 
That's what it made me. <laughs> oh yeah. Because at this point, all the '80s shit is just blending together for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ninja Turtles. This is Goonies <laughs> Ghostbusters. Let's not lie. No, absolutely. More Ghostbusters than Goonies, by the way. We thank God, because I, I like Ghost. Yeah, I like Ghostbusters. We cut to Gruberson boring the hell out of Callie with science, which turned her off due to her grandfather. And this is when we finally hear about Phoebe's dad, who is obviously out of the picture. And then uh, Gruberson praises both Phoebe and Callie. And this is when, as you said, Matt, I think this is where Rudd really wins me over, you know, is in these little scenes here. And, you know, he does have the wit, but at the same time, he's very likable as well. We cut to the kids in the car who have an RC car hooked up to the trap, and they head to go hunt Muncher in the town. They find him, and what ensues is what, in my mind, is a pretty kick-ass little action scene, complete with the gunner's seat, as we mentioned earlier. I do love this chase a lot. I find it exhilarating and fun and full of suspense, as we don't know when or if they're going to trap this pain-in-the-ass ghost. I also want to praise the filmmaking here because when we get close to the bridge and Reitman shows this wide shot of the car in the trap, it's such a great fucking shot. Him and his DP, as me and Matt Adam mentioned earlier, they do a great job of filming this. I really enjoy this scene a lot. Yeah, and like I said, I'd only watched one trailer for this movie because I didn't care ahead of time. I saw this part in the trailer, made me roll my eyes. I think it's exhilaratingly shot, as you said. I, I think it's fun. The action is good. The, the back and forth, you know, as she's going in and out of the car. We already saw Muncher break out of being held earlier, so we know that it could break the stream. So we don't know, is he going to get caught? And then with the RC, like, it's it's a good time. The siren is going on Ecto-1. The music is going. This change, because we've never had, you know, an action scene in the car. No. You know, and damn, it works. It really does. Yeah, isn't it nice when this movie does something really different and exclusively its own? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So I take that as you liked it. Like it uh, oh, this is my this is my favorite scene in the movie. Adam is probably because it reminds him of Fast and Furious. They... Uh, well, that too. I, I was like, you don't need <laughs> you, you don't need proton packs if you got family. Their victory of catching this ghost is short lived. That lived as cops come up to the car. Our next cut is to the jail as Trevor tells his story and Lucky happens to be there. Of course, this is because her father is the sheriff. And this is when we get the callback that I don't like, as Phoebe asks about their phone call, and the sheriff asks, who are they going to call? Grown. As soon as he put the phone down, I'm like, he's going to say it. He's going to fucking say it. Oh, man. Was that in the trailer? See, I only saw the first trailer. I seem to remember that being in the trailer, but I could be remembering that wrong. I uh, That was the one callback I'm like, a literal callback, <laughs> where I was just like, Fuck this. Phoebe calls a number from the YouTube ad, and it ends up being Ray Stant, who, after <laughs> uh, saying that his cult is close for business, he hears Egon's name, and then he just says right away that Egon can rot in hell. But then he finds out that Egon is now dead. So he goes into uh, where everyone is now. We get some exposition here, including Winston. He gets into finance, and he's doing very well for himself. And how Egon went a little mad after their business dried up. The call is ended when she says that Egon was her grandfather. Click. I thought this was a great way of getting all this stuff out. I like that Ray's here. And as we mentioned earlier, I had no idea that he was even going to be here. So the fact that we get this little bit of exposition from Dan Aykroyd himself is pretty remarkable. I enjoyed this quite a bit. I think this scene is awful for several wow. reasons. Number one, this feels like a... You know how The Last Jedi people complained that it felt like a betrayal of the Luke Skywalker character? This is, I finally had that experience with Ghostbusters of all fucking things. Because how does Ray, the most eager, 
the and the one who believed the most in the paranormal would not hear Egon out with actual evidence. Like he had proof. You can't sell me on that. And I wanted a better explanation why he couldn't do that. Second of all, he's just vomiting all this exposition into a complete stranger who he won't find out is the granddaughter until the very end of this conversation. Why the fuck don't you leave with that, smarty? Well, he's probably been asked, he's probably been waiting for somebody to call. He looked pretty lonely. That place didn't look exactly uh, lived in to me. <laughs> oh, well, so he's probably been waiting to get this out for a while. And I think Unless he had a shrink. performance is awful. He can't deliver wow. exposition anymore. I think this scene is fucking awful, and the worst part about it, it doesn't feel like Ray. First of all, when he had the phone and said, who are you going to call? Don't talk back to the screen, people. I can't believe that I had a theater where a bunch of people literally yelled out, Ghostbusters! <laughs> so, Adam, that goes with my yelling about people clapping at the end of movies. Oh, I fucking hate that, but yet there's going to be interaction no matter what. So with that, my kids are grounded till next year. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, you know what? I'm glad it made them happy. That was so eye rolling to me. I I had seen Dan Ac- I had seen the scene where like the phone gets picked up in a must have been a TV spot, and I saw that it was in a cult bookstore, and I thought that's all we were going to get. I liked it because to me, it's the meta part of Dan Aykroyd is so heavy into occult stuff that it's kind of scary. Like he is yeah. out there into that world, so. From that standpoint, I love seeing him in the bookstore. The rest of it, yeah, it's it's an info dump that just happens. I'm glad we at least get caught up. I thought that's all we were going to get. And if I was going to see anybody, I did actually want it to be Dan Aykroyd because I'm not a fan of Bill Murray. So he's the one I wanted to see back. Uh, but it, it's it's very expedited. You, you could have cut this by this conversation down a lot because it just kind of goes on and on and on. As Matt said, this guy's just – talking all this stuff to this kid out of nowhere, and he has no idea who she is. So that's a really good point, but I'm glad to have the info to at least know what happened. Matt, you know what I love about that entire explanation is that Adam did exactly what everybody's been doing to Winston the entire run of Ghostbusters. He just left him out of the equation. Uh, (laughs) You didn't want to see anybody but Dan Aykroyd, but Winston, eh, you could have cared less. Uh, Hey, I should have known Murray. I got no problem with Ernie Hudson. Uh, <laughs> you know what's sad? Of all of them, Ernie Hudson was the one I actually wanted to see because he's the only one to me that would look believable still carrying the proton pack, largely because he never takes it off if you've seen him at conventions. Yeah, he's, yeah, I was going to say. He's been carrying the for Ghostbusters. He's actually the yeah. one that still said, hey, I'm proud to play this part. So, yeah. yeah I, I, well, I, he's <laughs> gone back and forth on that. There have been times when he said that it, it really ruined his career. And there have been times when he's was really he said that he's really proud of what happened. I guess it depends on what convention he's at at what time, you know, or who he's being <laughs> and interviewed was it by. Before or after Congo came out? Exactly. Oh, oh. <laughs> End of sentence. Movie theaters. I think I saw it with you. I think so. Um, they're picked up by Callie and Gruberson, and she yells at them while Gruberson asks what they've caught. And we find out that their stuff is now being left at the police station. Gruberson says that he had a wonderful time, and she goes in the house saying that he doesn't want a part of her as her life is pretty much a dumpster fire. She goes in, and Phoebe explains that her grandfather was special, even if it seemed like he didn't care about his family. We then cut to some red eyes and the place where I believe all hauntings originate, Walmart. (laughs) Uh, Okay. This, This is the moment 
I turned on this movie wholeheartedly. Even before he goes into the Walmart. Because it's clean and empty? Most supernatural part of this movie. <laughs> no. No, boys. Come to, come to Walmart. No. And it is... No. There's not a shit stain. There's nobody pissing on the floor. There is no food <laughs> cost over. Like, I have been to Walmart on Black Friday at 2.30 in the morning. And I have... You <laughs> got the quote, Winston. I have seen shit that will turn you white when I go to Walmart. <laughs> And there's a Walmart in this town? Fucking really? You know what? Come to Fernley, Nevada. There's a Walmart here, too. They have Walmarts fucking everywhere. And this is a shithole, too. So. <laughs> Gruberson apparently has the munchies as he's walking around. And we see as he's at the, as you guys mentioned, the Baskin Robbins fucking ice cream shell. To quote Captain America, do you understand that reference, though? No. Okay. In Ant-Man... When he's released from prison, he goes to work at Baskin Robbins. Oh, he works at Baskin Robbins. That's right. That's what he was referencing? Boy, oh, boy, it's Jason. Gotta be. That entire case is nothing but Baskin Robbins. Boy, oh, boy. Unless he has like an exclusive deal with fucking Baskin Robbins where he's like, okay, no matter what movie I'm in, Baskin Robbins has to be in it. Well, also to quote Winston, if there's a steady paycheck involved, I'll believe anything you say. Yeah, <laughs> you're not fucking kidding. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't make that connection. I haven't seen Atman since it was out, so. Lucky. So as, as Gruberson's walking around, we see a package of Stay Puft Marshmallows hatch. They're unleashed, and all of a sudden, Matt, I'm taking back to our Gremlins retrospective, Jesus. complete with a creature being disintegrated in a household device. Mm-hmm. I did like the choice of the marshmallow melting and then holding his thumb up like Schwarzenegger in T2. I thought that was kind of funny. I laughed at that. But, I don't know, this was fucking zany as fuck. I know we saw some of this in a scene that was released about a year or so ago. But man, this got way out of control for me. Before we hit what where this movie really goes off the rails, what did you guys think about this fucking crazy Gremlins type scene? Oh, I'm so mad watching this. Oh, I was getting so I was getting so fucking angry because th- this is the this is the moment I, I threw my hands up and said this this movie's gonna turn to shit because the nothing else in that store goes haywire except for the one thing that is from Ghostbusters. And they do turn into gremlins, like when they're roasting yeah. them over the grill. Uh-huh. One of them, like, openly commits suicide, where he allows himself to have a chocolate bar melted over him and is crushed by a graham cracker to make a s'more. Yeah. And, 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 oh, my God, this was the worst example of Sony saying, how can we make money off of this? Baby Yoda was really popular. So we're going to do a bunch of baby Stay Puft Marshmallow men. Because we got to make up our returns after 2016 cost us so much goddamn money. You know what? You're not wrong. And by the way, after it was over, guess what Jen said? I want a little marshmallow man. So and then I would have said, "You're, you're uh, taking Uber home. I'll see you tomorrow." <laughs> I know the scene came out, and I know that like this entire scene, like they released this entire scene online, like you said. Yeah. I never watched it because I'm like, oh, my God. I can't believe they're going to bring back Stay Puff. And You know, it's in the title. It's like Stay Puff goes crazy, a little state, but whatever it is. I'm like, oh, my God, how fucking stupid is this going to be? And I am laughing to this entire scene. I can't believe that. And I am laughing to this entire scene. Yep, it's Gremlins, absolutely. And much like Ghostbusters, love Gremlins 1, hate Gremlins 2. Uh, oh, the boy. New batch. Yep, oh I'm boy. not on that one. No. But 
I can't believe how much of this also mimics that with them, kill, as Matt said, killing themselves in a household of plants, going in the blender. It's like, wee, wee, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> like it's whipped up yeah. on, the, on the barbecue. Like, it's vicious. Yeah. Like, these are sentient, and they're killed. Um, <laughs> and you're laughing. Um, I just went camping the other weekend with a whole bunch of scouts, and we made s'mores. So this is a little person, you know. But I'm like, oh, my God, they're roasting each other. It, I can't believe I'm laughing, and I'm having a great time. It makes no sense. None. There is no reason for it just to be Stay Puft, even though we see Stay Puft in the town. There is Stay Puft, like, banners uh-huh. and signs throughout the town, you know, that you see. So, I, I don't know. Maybe the factory used to be there. Fucking who knows. Um, so, other than that, and the demon dog, it, you know, eating food, it makes no sense. And I'm laughing and having a really good time with it. All right, let's get to the demon dog. So, as Griberson walks away, we see one of those terror dogs from the first film. He looks at and then attacks him. We see it go outside the Walmart to his car, and he's about to pounce as the film cuts. This is exactly like what happened with Moranis in that first film. Honestly, boys, I had no idea that this is where this film was going to go because I knew from this point exactly what we were going to get, that he was going to be the key master. I didn't know who the gatekeeper was going to be. Honestly, even though we've only had one adult female in this movie – Two, if you count fucking Janine. Um, I, I, I didn't know who was going to be that gatekeeper, but I knew for sure, oh, shit, we're actually going here. But at this point, I didn't have any problems with it. And this is the moment I knew exactly that it was going to turn into a remake. From here on out, it is more of a remake than the 2016 movie ever was. And as much as I, as much as I turned on it, the one piece of continuity that made me laugh is he jumps through his windshield that is still broken. <laughs> yes. Still broken. yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, was somebody, the, paid, yeah. somebody paid attention to that detail, but not the fact that the Ghostbusters firehouse was turned into a Starbucks, and then we find out it never was. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> and, and Matt, speaking of um, Halloween, too, I, I immediately thought of the Hall- Zombies Halloween remake, because there's a point in that movie where it just turns into a remake of that first film. And that's exactly what I thought of, of like, oh, shit, here we fucking go. We see the kids put together who and what Gozer is and what her plan may be. And this is when we hear of Ivor Skandor, who uh, came up with these plans. And as you said, Adam, this ties everything together pretty well. They go down into the caves again, this time using a lift. And holy shit, do I not want to take this fucking ride. (laughs) My God, who wants to go down this fucking thing? And I don't understand why we're taking a lift, because Podcast and Phoebe... Walked and yes. rode their bike right in there earlier. So, yeah, ah, fucking, I don't, I don't know. They find remnants of Gozer and Ivor Scan, uh, Sandor in here. Sleeping Beauty, fucking classic. <laughs> so, Snow White, oh. you uncultured punk. Oh my gosh, Snow <laughs> yes. White, thank you. Yes. And uh, J.K. Simmons, who I wasn't expecting to see, by the way. All right, does he have problems? Here's question: what? Because is it? Yeah, that's J.K. Yes, Simmons. That's actually J.K. Simmons. Yes. Oh shit! I never, saw, I never noticed that. There's gonna be another one that's gonna really blow your mind here in about ten minutes. But Go like, ahead, Matt. What is up with him making these weird cameos like this? I know. Terminator <laughs> Genesis, Justice League, like yes. Is this all you could get now with these tiny, like blinking, you'll miss it roles? Still doing commercials. Think, well, he's also in Spider-Man coming out, which I saw the trailer for before this film. 
Um, but that's that's kind of a different story. <laughs> but he's still paying the fucking taxes on it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, but at least that's a role he did twenty years ago. True. But if you look at that, he's in Spider-Man as Commissioner Gordon, apparently, based on the way he looks. We also see the pattern that is being followed for the countdown to the apocalypse. Gozer tries rising again, only to be stopped by a setup of proton packs. You know, I thought we'd cut to see a Ghostbuster holding the pack, but this ends up just being a contraption set up by Egon. Yeah, I um, we too. When I saw the stream, yeah, I thought we I thought were going to see somebody we... holding it. Yeah. I dug this. I did, too. Not to put a pun on, you know, mining, but I dug this a lot. <laughs> I thought it was pretty sweet. I did, too. I thought it was very creative. I didn't need the fracking comments earlier because, you know, <laughs> great. Yeah, thanks. Enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. I thought it was kind of ingenious of Egon to set it up this way, and it it makes sense. I do think it also has an image to Dante's Inferno when you look at that classic image of of them going up and stuff. So I think there's some, as we saw before, some classic kind of demonic imagery. I think it keeps it low, but I think that's what we see here in this, and I I like that. We cut to Callie inside the house messing with the PKA meter, and as she goes down to the basement, she is led to a wall that proves that Egon did indeed love his family, or at least kept track of them. Yeah, as like, she's looking at the there any Was there any surprise that this was down there? <laughs> yeah. When she went yeah. down there? I thought it was going to be a scrapbook. I didn't expect a wall. But was there mm-hmm. any surprise that there was going to be something that showed I'd love you all along? This movie's so no. derivative at points. I half expected instead of the wall, it's that thing from The Simpsons where it says "Do it for her." And it's pictures <laughs> all over, like you're here until you die. Like I thought it was going to be fucking that. Well, no. <laughs> see, see, he's a ghost. He's going to be hitting books from another dimension. Murph, don't let me go, Murph. Oh Murph. no. As Callie's looking at the wall, she also is possessed by a terror dog. I think I do like. The terror dogs are mostly practical. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. They still have that stop animo that stop animation look. I I dug that a lot that they kept that Harryhausen feel. Absolutely, and that was one of the things that Reitman was Jason Reitman was very big on was him saying that yes, we're gonna go practical as much as we can, almost like J.J. Abrams was praising while he was doing Force Awakens. It was the promotion reminded me a lot of the same things. The kids come home and we see that Kelly is in a possessed state of mind, saying that there is no mom, only Zool. This got quite a reaction out of the crowd I was in. Was there clapping? <laughs> no. <laughs> She asks Podcast if he's the key master, and we cut to Gruberson taking up the contraption Egon set up to let Gozer out of captivity. And by the way, his eyes are now red. So, of course, he's possessed as well. The possession of Callie, boys. This was, um, you know, she, she dumps around like a dog, kind of like Sigourney Weaver did in that first film. It, it is derivative, but God damn it, I can't help but say I'm still having fun. Adam, are you still feeling the same way? Yeah, had a good time. I, want, I saw it coming. But still didn't bug me. I don't understand that hyperventilating that the women seem to have to do when they yeah. get turned, where it's, hey, 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 look at my boobies jiggle on screen. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't get it, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was no surprise, but I was still completely on board. At, at this point, it would have taken a miracle for this movie to win me back. I was so turned off at the direction it went. Nothing was sitting well with me at this point, because it's so... Everything by this point is just so fucking telegraphed. I, I will say, from this point on, this movie gets fucking nuts. Like, it just goes way crazy. And I didn't think that we would get the remake that we end up getting. 
But again, I'm not turning against it. I, I'm still having fun here. Phoebe says that this isn't a farm, it's a trap. And they suit up as she says that, he, that Egon came here to finish what he started. And we hear all what we've heard before about the key master and gatekeeper. We cut to Callie getting her sexy on as her and Gruberson, a.k.a. the key master, get it on. And she just kind of rips her clothes into this just into the dress. dress. Yeah, into this gold dress that is reminiscent of the red dress that Sigourney Weaver wore in that first film. We didn't need this. I mean, it's, there's so much that are there. We, you want to find a cut, there's no fucking reason for it. At least we don't get them, like, making out like we saw Moranis and Weaver do, although that's probably more for the comedic aspect of that scene. Yeah. Phoebe and Podcast, they find their equipment still locked up, and Podcast comes up with a plan to let the muncher out so that they can get their stuff back. I thought this was a pretty creative plan. I was, I was kind of digging this. Yeah, they, like the um, creativeness of how that works. Yeah. I did too, because I'm thinking. I'm sitting there thinking, how the fuck are they going to get that shit out? And then like they're going to get caught by the sheriff. Oh no, he just lets the ghost out and he munches his way through. They head to the mountain as Gozer's plan unfolds, and we once again see lightning turn both the keymaster and gatekeeper into dogs, and Gozer is let out. Shandor is literally torn apart, and ghosts are let loose in Oklahoma. And boys, when I heard who played Gozer, it blew my fucking mind. Oh shit! Because I'm looking at this and I'm like. Okay, she doesn't look like that old Scandinavian actress. She kind of has a different look to her. Kind of like Medusa in that fucking Clash of the Titans remake. I'm like, I'm not sure if I like it yet or not. But when I heard it was Olivia Wilde, I was like, oh, it does make sense. And I liked her in this. Like, I liked the way she played this. Of course, it's not her voice. It's somebody else's voice. And the acrobatic moves are done by a dancer. But she actually played her in this, and that blew my mind. She is uncredited. Yeah, um, that surprised the hell out of me. Um, yeah, love Olivia Wilde uh, from so many things. Me too. Um, but that blew me away. I was surprised they kept the exact same look of Gozer. I thought we would see it, but I thought maybe Gozer would look different ways because you know it's not male or female. Or, you know, it goes through, and even here it expresses that that it's not a woman. But I thought Gozer might change looks or change shapes in that type of form. So I was surprised it didn't go that way. The suit's kind of a cool effect yeah the that temple like coming out like yeah. a model was a weird decision but once it at least flushes itself out it I mean, we're we're right back on the top of the of the building and from 84 oh boy you were honestly expecting them to do something different with gozer i was hoping yeah i was hoping too but I, you know uh, eventually that hope well runs dry and i'm left in the desert waiting for someone to hand me that can of motor oil like at the end of Quantum of Solace and just put me out of my misery. It is derivative, but unlike The Force Awakens, I am feeling the organic nature of everything that this is built up to. This movie is over two hours. They have built this over an hour and a half. That first movie was an hour and a half total. I am feeling this because I think they set it up pretty well. Now, there are things. There is no mom-only Zool. Grown. Who are you going to call? Grown. There are things that I'm just like, okay, boys, enough, enough. But what this was built as after Jason Reitman made that horrendous comment about this giving the movie back to fans, he also said this was a love letter to fans of that first movie. And at this point, that is what I'm taking this as. Unlike The Force Awakens, which was setting up something that was going to be grander, a three-picture series, I think this movie at this point 
I am feeling more into this because I'm invested in these characters. I am feeling the organic nature of it. And this, this movie has me, by, has me by the collar. I am dead in with this film. I am not feeling the derivativeness that I'm hearing a lot of people say. I was really into it. A lot of people being me. Well, no, not just you. I'm seeing it online. I mean, come on, have a Facebook with more than 50 friends, and you're going to hear a whole bunch of different negative opinions on this. I have seen a lot of negative opinions on this. I will say critics, I can't believe how harsh they are. I think, oh, they've been I, I, 62%. I, I think, which, I think that's one not called harsh. It. Give me a no, fucking no, 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 but the ones that are negative are very negative. No, no but I, I, I heard one that called it that, the only, that, that it was a love letter to necrophilia. Like, like the, or the necrophilia actually the only people that would enjoy this. And I was like, holy shit. That's insane. Like, it's just, yeah. No, it, yeah. Here comes one of my favorite parts. Phoebe tells Gozer jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. As the trap is set up underneath the Callie terror dog and turns her back into Callie. The kids pick her up as Gruberson pursues them. I, I like this. I thought this was fun. Um, I like the fact that, you know, instead of waiting till the end to turn her back, they turn her back right away. And we're going to get Gruberson later turned back into Gruberson. But here we're turning Callie back right away. So I thought that was a nice little touch. It's, it, it's funny. This part right here, it, for anybody that knows, Guardians of the Galaxy, the original one, first one, not, not a fan, don't like the humor. I hate the dance-off at the end. And this is the dance-off. Like, it's distracting this person while they can do it. And it's amazing how much this works for me, and I'm laughing and going along with it. Mm-hmm. Because in other movies, I really don't. And I'm laughing at Phoebe here when she pulls up and starts doing these jokes. I love it. It's just, and, and I can't explain why this works for me when other movies try to do the kind of thing and it doesn't. Maybe it's just her. Maybe I think that she's just, I don't know. It's, it, it makes me laugh. It makes me smile. It, it gets it. The kids pick Callie up as Riverson pursues them, and I love that line. I think it was uh, Trevor, who has been kind of absent throughout this thing. You know, she, he's been there a little bit, but he hasn't really had a, a, a real standout scene. And here I think it was pretty nice. Where it's like She's like, what is that chasing us? And he's just like, it's your boyfriend. That was pretty funny. Yeah, but speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, that's the second one with That's My Father. Mm-hmm. At the end. I haven't seen that since it was originally yep. out, so I don't remember that at all. Watch that one. It's a good one. <laughs> Phoebe tells I, I Callie that she's... That, a... I endorse that statement 100% that people are now going to come after us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till we do Marvel. <laughs> Phoebe tells Callie that she's a scientist as they pull up to the house. As we see the marshmallow men are throttling their plan and Gozer emerges again. But as she does, guess who's back? Now, apparently... These three have been doing the talk show circuit lately, so it's well known that they're back in this movie. But like Matt, I avoided any and all things in the months leading up to this. I had no idea that the three original Ghostbusters were back in this, and I was caught completely off guard. It made me happy. What about you guys? I had assumed that we would get a cameo like we got from Ray earlier. Eh, That was a little more than a cameo. That's all I thought we were going to get. So to see the OG three that are left, hang on, um, show up here absolutely blew me away. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Don't know if I need it. Um, my theater erupted in cheers. So did mine. 
Um, yep, that makes three of us. Yep, and the music swells. Like it, it's 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 good. I, I don't know if I need it, but it it, it works. As Matt brought up earlier, Lo- logistics. I I don't understand. It looks like Egon had taken everything, so I don't know. What, but whatever. Um, it's a cheer moment. It's it's them all back together. But I it it did shock me because I I didn't think there was any fucking chance all three of them would actually be donning the the packs again together. Especially fucking Murray, out of all the shit that he's been talking about this franchise for the past twenty or so years, like I, I did not, I did not expect to see him here. Well, when, to God. when he's with them together, I don't think he gives a shit. I don't even think he bothered to get in the fucking makeup trailer because he looks like he rolled off a fucking full week bender. <laughs> I mean, he's got a scene a little bit where it's him, you know, and at least it, it's amazing that his hair got done in the five minutes. But when he's standing there. Um, <laughs> But when he's there with Ray and with Winston, it, I don't know, Murray's just like, ah, I'm fucking getting paid like a motherfucker for this, and I'm just going to do what I want, which is Bill Murray. The way we're introduced to them is we're hearing Bill Murray's voice say, hey, flat top. So mm-hmm. that's how we're introduced. So I, I, I do, you know, I do get a lot of, I don't want to say love from Murray, but it does, you know, in the lead up to this, he has said in interviews that, yes, this was a very good script with a lot of, um, with a lot of love put into it, and he was very happy to be a part of it. That's what he said. Who knows, knowing Murray. He showed up in Go an ahead. absolute just shit cameo for 2016. Absolutely. So yeah. if he was willing to do that, I think this, even out of respect for the other people in that movie, and thank God he you know, made some sort of amends with Ramus before he passed, but I think he owed it to, to everybody else in that team. But, yeah, agreed. That was Bill Murray? <laughs> <laughs> because I could have sworn... When the camera cuts to him, I heard him go, Good evening, boils and ghouls. It's me, the Crypt Keeper. Because that's what he fucking looks like now. <laughs> it was sad. not going to lie. It was sad watching the three of them together. Because they did, they did not need to be in this at all. And I think it's kind of a... Not quite a contradiction, but it takes away the power from the new characters when you have the old ones show up and help out. The one thing I'll give this over Force Awakens, not to keep comparing these two movies, is that unlike Harrison Ford, they look like they give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. Um, and, and I think their, their chemistry is good when they're kind of bantering back and forth, but I, I think the fact, this is the first time it hit me that it's been almost 40 years since the original, because it's, yeah. it it, it's really apparent. And it, it's sort of, I'm at the point with like the the tail end of Roger War, where it's not even believable for him to be shooting a gun or a proton pack, let alone doing a chase scene. Gozer asks if Ray's a god, and he uh, he finally answers it correctly. <laughs> this was, you know what? God damn, I cannot believe I'm saying I like this, but I did. Where Venkman's just like, oh come on, Ray, like don't don't say it again. I like the tone um, when they both turn towards the yeah yeah yeah. Fuck this oh, up again, Ray. Oh, I, I, did, I did laugh pretty hard. I, I know I'm not supposed to, but I am. He finally answers it correctly before laying into her by crossing the streams. But it doesn't work this time, and she hits them back. Uh, we're going to find out why it doesn't work here in a little bit. I'm liking the repartee here between the three of them, as you said. Murray, I think, is funny, saying that they'll rule the world together, but they're finished now as she's about to maim them. Phoebe attacks. She can't quite get her footing, but the ghost of Egon is there to guide her. Okay. If you were going to do this, his arm 
is the most we should have seen. I think this whole trend that Hollywood's been doing between Grand Moff Tarkin, Leia, I think it's wrong on a moral level to be doing this, to to be bringing back dead actors without any kind of voluntary consent. I, I think it's it's very disrespectful. And I was bothered by how many times they showed this. Like, it's not just one shot. They keep cutting no. to it. And no, it, it plays a to, huge part of the climax of this film. Yeah, and I swear to God, Bill Murray has this look on his face like, I, I don't think we should be doing this. I thought this went way too far. Let me say this. For this scene where he is guiding that fucking pack, I was actually pretty touched by that. I felt some chills while watching that. Because she's struggling. Her feet aren't under her. She is losing this battle. But when he's there to steady it, I was damn near in tears. I'll go ahead and say that. I've lived life the last few years, and I'm turning into less of the heartless asshole (laughs) I used to be because I did it during Bond, and I'm doing it here. Like, this fucking grabbed me. Now, they do push it, and we'll get to how much they push it later. But here, I was actually with it. We see him. Yes, it is. I don't want to say insulting because they did get his estate's permission to do this. So um, I am not going to go as far as to say it's insulting to do this. But at this point, I am with it. It does go too far. That moment where the arm first shows up, it it hits you right in the fucking chest. Like it's it is a it's a punch right in the gut. And I think everybody's just like, oh, fuck, you know, it's there because we know who it is. It did not need to go further than that. I'll agree. It goes too far by the end of it, but I was okay seeing him all at first. I didn't need to keep seeing it over and over for the next, you know, five, seven minutes. I appreciate the fact that they never had him speak a word. You know, he did, that the ghost does not speak. I found it telling, and I had this conversation with Laura, my wife, later, Ray speaks to him. Winston speaks to him. You know who doesn't say a word? Mm-hmm. Is Bill oh. Murray. I caught that too. And I so. found that interesting. And it could have, you know, they had a very, they had a decades long falling out after um, Groundhog's Day, and supposedly he spent like a weekend with Ramus on Ramus's deathbed before he passed. So it could have been his way of of respecting him that he wasn't going to say a word, you know, to the ghost. My wife is crying in the seat next to me as we're watching this. She lost her father recently. So it was that, and I had no clue it was going to get to this part, you know, of an emotional family drama. It's fucking Ghostbusters. It goes too far. I think you could have had just, even showing a body maybe from the back of him steadying her while she does it would have done enough. But I do like the inclusion of of showing, but I do think they take it further than they needed to. Let let me say, I, I like this. This idea was done a thousand times better and there's going to laugh when I compare it to this, Harry Potter. In the in Goblet of Fire when Harry's parents show up to, to let him get away from Voldemort. Mm. That's what I that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Now, now that they speak, well, parents talk to him, so they, they had to make it different, but the, the color palette I mean, the, Harry's wand stream looks like a freaking proton pack emission. So that's, oh, yeah, all, that's all I could think of. But, yeah, I just, I, I have moral issues. Like, mm-hmm. with, with this I, I understand that completely. 
And it doesn't look as bad as CGI Grandma Tarkin. Mm-mm. It looks actually really good. Yeah, from a rendering standpoint, it looks... I think that's as good as it's ever going to... Of, of doing this trend, that's probably as good as you're ever going to get it. And I looked, they used... Uh, Bob Gunn was a stand-in. Mm-hmm. If you don't know who that is, he played the warden in Shawshank Redemption. Speaking of Stephen King, again. Let me ask you this, Matt. Moral standards notwithstanding, do you think the fact that you're not really touched by this and you are touched by the Potter rendition is because you grew up on Potter and me and Adam grew up on this. And that's why we're actually feeling emotional and you're not. I think to an extent that plays into it because Ghostbusters is not something that I hold near and dear to my heart, but I don't, I don't know hundred percent. Cause like I'm, I'm one to be emotionally affected by family stories, fast and furious jokes aside. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I talked about Logan. That was one of those yeah. movies where like, I didn't want, I, I couldn't, talk like i cried so hard watching that movie somebody asked me the next day if i was okay uh and guardians of the galaxy 2 going back to that that was a big one for me so i, I think it's a combination of, of that my lack of overwhelming nostalgia and also i just think it's i don't think it's executed the best everything you need to know was conveyed through the light because it's never explained like she never says oh mom my grandfather's talking to me through this light you have to go talk to him Instead, it's this is the reveal for everybody. And I, I think the arm, the arm. If if the lamp was not enough, the arm should have been the capper. I just I felt like they kept pushing it too too far. So Egon's helping steady this, and the three originals they all get a look at them. Trevor finally gets his proton pack working after the marshmallow man fucked that up, and the uh, trap is set, and down everything goes. Venkman tells Phoebe that he likes her style and then meets Callie, telling her that he's going to have rum in his hot chocolate. <laughs> That's Bill Murray. <laughs> that, was, that was a nice little touch. I, I, I giggled at that. And Gruberson emerges saying that his hands hurt from galloping. Because you, you don't think about that. Like, he, he's waking up after being this dog. Of course his arms are going to, his hands are going to fucking hurt. <laughs> Ray runs into podcasts, and he ends up being his only subscriber. This is a cute little touch. You're my subscriber. I think that was, I think that was actually Dan Aykroyd breaking character, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a nice little wrap-up. And then we get the big wrap-up. Egon says goodbye to the kids. And then hugs Callie. The length of the hug is a little too much. I mean, Reitman's really tugging on these E.T. heartstrings. Mm-hmm. You know, he's really trying. But this is when I think it goes a little too far. We did need this closure. I think we did need Callie to realize that her father was actually a good person and not the introvert asshole that she thought he was. And he did actually love her. But hugging this ghost... It does border, I don't want to say on tasteless, but I'll go ahead and say it. Borders on tasteless. Yeah, it just goes on too far. Like, we got it at this point. It's a, you're, you're milking this cow. Mm-hmm. It's dry. Just, we, we got it, and now you're kind of beating it as far as you can. I do like the final four herald that we get on screen, because it's during the movie. Somebody, I, I keep seeing everywhere, oh, they say four herald in the credits. No, fuck you. It is not in the credits. It is during the movie, before this movie ends, on screen it says for Harold. And that one, I share a movie with Harold, I share a birthday with Harold Ramis. I saw this on our birthday. I've loved this oh, guy since I was a kid watching his movies. That fucking hit me, and that hit me well. So they finished it well as much as they've 
went too far to get there. Yeah, it's the same thing they did with um, Paul Walker in Furious 7, where it says for Paul before the credits start. Yeah, but I mm-hmm. like your Uranus. Yeah, same. It's funny that that statement came up because this movie feels like the antithesis of everything Harold Ramis has ever made. Because Harold Ramis was, all of his movies are very anti-authority. They're also very anti-nostalgia. Animal House in particular, because that is a movie that is all about removing the rose-tinted glasses off of the 50s and 60s. That it wasn't this idea like, you know, our parents weren't these perfect people. We were actually kind of monsters. You know, Stripes goes without saying. Ghostbusters, there's the, you know, the villain is EPA, basically. It's a big government. And what Ghostbusters has turned into is, like, the authority. It's like the epitome of everything his movies were against. Really? I mean, I didn't think it was that as much as it was just, it was just a tribute. Like, we're not making something here that, is supposed to be looked at as a rude anti-establishment comedy here. You know, this is something different altogether. And you're saying even as a tribute, you don't think he would like he don't you don't think he would like this at all? I think he'd like the tributes to himself, but I think the the idea that this movie is is for the fans and it's like a it feels like Ghostbusters. To me this this doesn't feel like Ghostbusters. It feels like people paying homage to the Ghostbusters brand and property. Versus the movie as a whole, if that makes any sense. See, and, and that's and to me, the the four herald was what they meant for him at the end here, not the movie, because the movie is Jason talking to his dad. <laughs> that's yeah. What the movie. I mean, this Phoebe, yeah. um, um, uh, Phoebe's mom. I mean, that the it, yeah, no, it's it's a son and his dad as much as Nolan tries to explain an interstellar to his fucking kids. I mean, that that's what this is. And uh, Jason Reitman's been, you know, he's been very vocal about that, that he realizes that this is something passed down to him. It has been his family's well-being for the past 40 years. I mean, this thing made them a very wealthy family. So he has not taken that pressure lightly. But I also think he wanted to make a proper tribute to their friend, uh, the guy who really put a lot of the, as we've mentioned in that first podcast about the original film, Reitman was the one who really grounded this because, fucking Aykroyd's script was all over the fucking place and it would have been a $300 million budget. He's the one who really grounded it and I think they wanted to give that proper tribute and to me, look, it is it does go on too long but I think this For Herald thing, for the people not in the know, that wouldn't make any sense but I thought it was a very heartfelt tribute. By the way, we have gone this long and we have not even heard the theme song but as Egon goes away, we finally hear it and no, this is not Fallout Boy this time. Thank God. This is the original Ray Parker song. We're hearing it as we see the Ecto-1 once again in New York. And uh, credits then start rolling. We see some names show up. And then we see Sigourney Weaver's name show up. And as soon as I looked at Jen and I said, wait a second, I didn't see Sigourney. Wait, there she is. And we see the first mid-credits scene. Did, you guys, did both of you guys see this or no? Yep, saw this scene. Okay, you saw this. Matt, no, did you? No, and now I'm... No. So, so what happened? You were, you were obviously way in a hurry to get the fuck out because this happens relatively quick. I wanted to beat the traffic. Let's let's be clear. It was a packed <laughs> All right. It was late. I wanted. All right. Never mind the fact that you have a podcast to talk about it. <laughs> People don't. This is the problem. People don't fucking tell I know, me. I'm, I know. I'm fucking fucking with. You. It's because we were in the center of our theater. We were waiting for everybody uh-huh. else to leave. That is the only reason I was still there to see this. All right. So what this is. 
is we're basically getting another rendition of the beginning of the first film, which is Venkman holding up cards and people guessing the cards. Guess what? This time it is Dana holding up the cards and Venkman guessing properly these symbols. We get some shocks here, and she goes, you really used to do this to innocent people or to guys and girls? He goes, yes, I did this to guys, and I did use, I did get in a lot of pants because of it. And then he says that, and boom, he gets shocked again. And it's a relatively cute scene, but again, to me, it's just a really weird callback because, A, I don't know if they're a couple. We don't get that from this scene. I don't, I, I, I don't know if they're back together or not. It's literally just a way to shoehorn Sigourney Weaver into this movie. So what really pissed me off is I was looking up something on IMDb on Saturday with Sigourney Weaver, and I saw a credit for Dana Bankman. Ah. <laughs> you want to talk about pissed the fuck off? <laughs> so, yeah. so by the time I got to the credit, I go, okay, you know what? Maybe it was wrong. And then I saw her name, and I went, God damn it. They literally did this just like they did Howard the Duck where they're scrolling through names, then it says Howard the Duck created by Steve Gerber, and we got a Howard the Duck freaking scene. That's exactly how they did this. Is her name comes up, bam, we go into the scene. It, it's like they had an a, a outline for the way they were going to do this scene, and then these two just kind of riffed on each other. Because it's not smooth, but it's still nice. To, well, it's nice to see Sigourney Weaver, but it's great to see her and everything. But it, it's 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 playful back and forth, but this doesn't feel scripted at all because it's kind of it's rough. Yeah, so that's what you missed there, Matt. Now, the second scene... <sighs> fucking Jason. <laughs> ...is the one that pissed me off. I'll be honest. Oh, this one... Oh, can, I, can I guess what it is? Go. Is it Rick Moranis? No. Oh. I, I can't believe Rick Moranis is, And I thought he was back, too. I, I thought, thought he was I in this he too. was back yeah. just for this. I did, too. Fuck. No, this is... We cut to... Janine, and we're hearing how successful Winston is at his new gig. He's, he's made a lot of money financing, doing putting money in the right places. So he's got a lot of money. And then he looks and he's thinking about investing and getting the Ghostbusters back up and running. And then we cut to the containment system, which has a little bit of uh, activity going on. And then we cut to black. Paranormal activity, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he he basically rebuys back the firehouse. Oh yeah, so, so he pulls a Bruce Wayne. Yeah, mm-hmm. I bought that's the exactly what he does. Yep. Let me put it this way: as we mentioned earlier, Ernie Hudson has been so outspoken over how he's been misused in, in these films <laughs> over the years. I feel like this was kind of a make good, you know, where Ivan Reitman was like, "Look, if you're gonna put Ernie Hudson in it, will you please put him in something that will make him look good, so I, he shuts the fuck up about me?" Yes. Um, Let's not let anybody know that there's a post-post-credit scene so that everybody fucking misses it. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, everybody's – I mean, in a way I get it because, I mean, with the way Marvel films have conditioned us, I mean, everybody's going to stick around anyway at this point, you know, especially a franchise movie. No. Um, If there's not a cape, no. It it pissed me off because I thought, honestly, that this was nothing more than a love letter to fans of that original series and to Estate of Harold Ramis. I did not think we were setting up something that was going to continue. And um, I'm guessing they're gauging what what this box office will do because that's exactly what it looks like we're going to get if they decide to continue this, which I, God, I hope they don't. 
because I want to get to my thoughts here in a little bit, but I don't think they need to expand on this at all. I think they did. They said what they needed to say, and we don't need to continue this. We don't need any more activity. Let's stop this fucker now. On that post credit scene, based on the way you were selling it, you made it sound like you were building up to Slimer being released from that ecto containment field. No. Glad they didn't no. go Although that. it could be. We saw a little activity going on. It could be. Oh, please be Vigo. Please. <laughs> you want Vigo oh, so fucking I want, I want Yanish. I want, I'd rather... <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I hate you. Uh. <laughs> All right, on that note, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Ghostbusters Afterlife? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. There's been a lot of comparison to The Force Awakens with this movie, and for damn good reason. This follows the beat of Ghostbusters. Um, it might as well just have... Ghostbusters 84 might as well have been the shooting script for this, and then they changed a few things. <laughs> um, and that movie's okay. You know what other franchise has done that recently? Is Creed. Creed did that really, really well. And if you watch Creed, it's rocky. It's the same movie. But it brings something new, fresh, and gets you invigorated for to go a different way. That's what this did for me. I have never understood the utter fucking love for the Ghostbusters as a franchise. Because I don't think there's been anything good that's ever come out of it except for the first Ghostbusters. Uh, and it's amazing because so many of the movies around that time I'm not a big fan of, but I like that one a lot. E.T., don't care. Um, Gremlins, like the first. Um, Goonies, don't care. It's amazing that the movies that are in my age range, I don't give a shit about. But Ghostbusters was it for me, and it could have been because of the cast, um, but it just hits all those notes. You think that it would, so many films like this I do get kind of offended by, um, but this this didn't. It did feel not fresh, because it ain't fresh. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a remake. Um, it's a remake, it's a reboot, it's a sequel, it's a rebootical, um, like we've had a lot of. But I was happy to see it. And maybe it's because I saw it through my children's eyes, and I saw that they were getting a Ghostbusters for them, which they've never had yet. Um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the actors. Um, I can't believe I like Paul Rudd. Uh, write that down, Logan. But yes, I like Paul Rudd in it. Um, I think the only person I didn't care for was Finn Wolfhard. Luckily, he's not in it very much. Um but this works for me uh, as a Ghostbusters movie. It's the second best Ghostbusters movie by a wide margin for me. It ain't going to be everybody's cup of tea, as you've heard on this podcast. Um, but I do think they could go some different ways with it. Uh, the final post credit scene makes me worried that because the kids aren't going to be old enough to do it by themselves. So if they go back to New York, I assume that the mom and... Paul Rudd are going to be married and running it. Who knows? Uh, the way that this is taken off, as Garrett said, yeah, they could close it here. Yes, it would be a good way to finish it. It's not going to. Guess what? Halloween 2018 would have been the perfect end of that fucking franchise, too. But they are going to fucking run that for two more movies. Um, this would have been a nice fitting end. It's going to go on a few more. But I had a really good time with this. I think it's worth seeing. I think it's worth seeing in theaters. If you like Ghostbusters, go see it. If you got kids that you want to introduce them to, this is a good way to do so. It's a seven. Had a really good time. I'd be happy to see it again. I'm not going to pay to see it in the theater, but I'd be happy to see it again. 
it's the only Ghostbusters other than the first one that I will watch a second time. So, yeah, 7 on 10. Wow. 7 on 10 from Adam. I, I was not expecting that, actually. What about your uh, family? What they say? What they say? What your wife and two kids think? Did they like it as well? Laura had a great time. Say she was crying at the end of it. Um, Madison, my daughter, really connected with Phoebe. She thought she was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we talked about it the next day. Still, that she felt, you know, I'm not smart like her, but yeah, I like her a lot. And she says this and that. My son clapped like he had a great time from beginning to end. He's ten. Nice. This, you know, the original Ghostbusters, it's more adult. This is not an adult movie. You know, the first one is an adult movie that kids can enjoy. This is a teen movie that you hope adults can enjoy. And I do think there's a big difference there. Um, but for a family, kid-type entertainment, my family absolutely loved it. And that made me happy. Wow. Well, that was um, that was the big thing with me was whether they uh, they enjoyed it or not. Yeah, I'm glad you gave us that perspective. And, and I'm glad that I got to be here on this with them. I'm glad I got to change it up. You know, I almost went by myself to go see it, and I went, no, I think it would be nice to see it with them. I think I would get a different perspective, feel a little different, seeing how they reacted around me, you know, and and I do. I think I enjoyed myself more watching us all have fun at one time. Not that I get skewed, but I enjoy myself being around people enjoying themselves, and that's what I got. Yeah. All right. You ready? Let's get to it. Matt, what do you give this, sir? Pickle? How do you feel about it? <laughs> what do you give Ghostbusters Afterlife? Man, if this movie is everybody's cup of tea, then someone took a shit in my oh gray. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought up Creed because that I was trying to think of examples of these kind of movies done well, and, and I actually thought of what what I thought me personally what I wanted this movie to be. Um, you both have seen Star Trek Beyond, right? Yes. Nope. So that is a that is a oh great so this analogy is fucking useless to fifty percent of the <laughs> I saw the first um, two I never watched Beyond okay well, well that works then because the first two to me did not feel like Star Trek it was taking those characters calling them those characters taking one characteristic from them and just defining them and spiritually it didn't feel like Star Trek with Beyond they got the characters right. And they had bombastic action for modern sensibilities, but it still felt like Star Trek. Captured the spirit. I don't feel like this movie did that. There's a new coat of paint on the Ecto-1, figuratively and literally, but once you get to the Walmart, I turn on this movie 100%, and it became everything I fear. It played it safe, it pandered to the point of sheer embarrassment, if you ask me. Like, people were clapping at every little reference. And I, I wanted to stand up and go, really, people? Like, this is all it takes for you to be satisfied? Not, not for me to... I don't want to say what you should and should not like. I, that's not my place. I'm not that guy. But me, personally, I'm going to use No Time to Die as the example. Movie that also has a shit ton of references. So many of which I did not catch, and I've seen that movie four times, and I still find things. That movie, say what you want about it, it's a Bond movie, but it takes a lot of risks while still 
I have the ability to still look at that movie and say, oh, they they captured James Bond. They they captured Ghostbusters in this movie, but they trapped it exclusively in 1984. And they I don't think they've learned from their mistakes with 2 or 2016. 2016, I think the problem was they tried too hard to be something that they shouldn't have been. And in this movie, I don't think they tried hard enough to appeal to both fan bases. Tonally, this doesn't feel like the original Ghostbusters to me. It feels very closer in spirit, like I said, to the second one. I liked the main girl, more so in performance than I did in characterization. And to me, this is everything I don't like about modern Hollywood. I, I don't like these safe movies that don't really challenge you and try way too hard to please everyone and also tug at your heartstrings. I don't think any any of that works. So there were some things I liked. I thought the podcast kid was, was good. He consistently got chuckled out of me. I liked some of the vibrancies that Reitman brought to the directing flourishes. But all in all, it's in service of a, of a story and a message that I don't respond to. So as someone who's not a Ghostbusters giant mega fan, I just don't think this was for me. So I didn't enjoy it, but I'm not going to say it's one of the worst things I've ever seen, although I'll say that about the last 30 minutes. I think that's that's a major knock on this movie. So it puts me at a 4 out of 10. Man alive. I don't remember the last time you and I have disagreed this much on a film. Look, I have been on record on this podcast and on other binge media outlets and even on the Amicos podcast when I was on those as saying I hate being pandered to. I felt as somebody who grew up and loved that original movie, this didn't really pander to me as much as just tell me a continuation of that original story. While at the same time incorporating new age elements, I enjoyed these characters. And I think, again, that's the big difference between this and The Force Awakens to me is, you know, everything in The Force Awakens felt forced from Han's death to BB-8 to race force capabilities. Everything just felt right down our fucking throats. Here, we're getting a lot of these callbacks. We're getting a lot of things that we have felt before. But I think it's being told, and I'll say the word again, I've said it a lot on this podcast, but in an organic way. I think that's what Jason Reitman's strength is. I think the things I felt in this movie is everything that I was hoping to feel during The Force Awakens. I feel this was an invigorating story. There's not that much. I mean, this movie is over two hours. I will be the first to say it is a little overlong. I did start feeling the length toward the end of this movie. But that's not to say it is a bad movie whatsoever. I did get the feels during certain portions of this film. I enjoyed the score. I enjoyed the callbacks. I enjoyed the humor. The podcast kid and Phoebe are just fucking fantastic. I, I love their interactions. I like Paul Rudd in this movie. Like Adam, I'm not the biggest Paul Rudd fan, but my God, I, I loved every single time he was on screen. I am going to go 8 out of 10 on this. I had that much of a good time. And I'm with Adam where I feel like it is easily the second best of this series, which isn't a high bar to clear. And by the way, I was... You know, I was relatively kind to 2016, but when you look at this movie and you compare it, there is no comparison because that movie felt like it was trying too hard to be something different. This, to me, is it trying too hard to give this thing back to the fans, as Jason Reitman said? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but 
God, I guess I'm a sucker because I felt it. My girlfriend felt it. The audience I was with felt it. And uh, a lot of the people I've spoken to afterwards have really felt it. So um, unlike a lot of the critics of, of this, I very highly enjoyed this film. And I'm like Adam. I will probably go see it again. I enjoyed it that much. It's a, a easy 8 out of 10 for me. All right. That does it for Ghostbusters. You know, they did do that teaser for the end, but with the way Netflix series and Disney Plus series are being made, maybe we can get a Netflix series out of this. Um, I don't know. Matt, I'm guessing you don't want any more part of the Ghostbusters franchise. I'm tapped out. The, okay. The most, the most I would want to see is maybe Ghostbusters in another country. I, I, how about doing it with a, with a culture that either 100% believes in the supernatural or is completely unopposed to it and do the Prometheus thing of faith versus science. Granted, that's also not the tone of Ghostbusters, but I want something radically different at this point. Adam, how about you? Actually, I really like that idea. And China is such a large market for every movie studio now. That's where you'd go with it. Huh. I like that idea. Um, I don't need any more. We're going to get it, and I hope they don't Ghostbusters 2 it when they Ghostbusters Afterlife 2. I mean, what's it going to be? Ghostbusters Resurrections, I guess? You know? Hello, Matrix? Uh, but... <laughs> or Alien? <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. Oh, Sigourney Weaver's already done a Resurrections movie. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't see how you would keep this cast and bring the kids back to be the central focus again. So I don't need any more. But there's no way they signed them for just one. This is doing well. It's probably going to continue through the holidays doing well. Um, I don't think it's going to butt up against anything until Spider-Man in, what, three weeks? Oh, no, Disney's got a movie this weekend. But I think it's going to, you know, I think it's going to do well in pandemic age, whatever that means anymore. But with its budget being, you know, under a hundred million dollars, it's definitely going to be profitable. I, let it lie, you know, let it lie. Um, go out on top. God knows no franchise goes out on top, but just go out on top for me. <laughs> Sorry for Matt. Um, but yeah, just, you know, let, let the ghost, let, RIP, let the ghost sleep. I'm um, exactly with Adam on this. I, as much as I enjoyed this film, I think it is the perfect way to end this franchise i think you said everything you needed to say you quote unquote gave this franchise back to the fans um let it be uh don't take this any further no matter what the box office says you this is exactly what you set out to make jason reitman just you know you took it from your dad you did what you did you made a very good film at least in me and adam's eyes um just let it rest that i'm exactly with you all right, that does it for the Ghostbusters franchise. I would like to thank Matt for going on this journey with me, and I would like to thank Adam for stepping in and doing what you always do, hit a, hit a thousand when you, uh, when you come on to this podcast. I thank you, sir. Find a way to you make will a be coming back. Me- Go ahead. Find a way to make a, con- make a podcast last twice as long. <laughs> yeah. When Adam shows Jesus up, we go Christ. for two hours. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Thanks for uh, making me edit a three-hour podcast on the week I'm supposed to move. I appreciate that. You're welcome, Uh, (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening. We have so much more stuff coming up. Um, Me and Matt are putting together the the schedule for the new year, and um, it's going to be – we're going to have more very, very interesting things going on. 
and other things going on in our lives, which we'll uh, we'll discuss at a later date. So until next time, why should you not trust a podcast? Because they make up everything. Thank you, gentlemen. My baby told me once, my baby told me twice, my baby told me three times, three times nice. Do you want some uh, coffee, Mr. Tully? Do I? Yes, have some. Yes, have some. The Binge Aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. Ray. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Voice narration done by Adam. Hey, what? You boneheads are going to come and rouse me out again? You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car! <laughs> Edited by Garrett. What an asshole. Shubs and Zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the floor that day, I can tell you. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! When this was getting closer, did you have the same vibes? Were you actually looking forward to it as well? My vibes continue to trend in the negative direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. This movie's got me choked up already. Um, that bad joke. Um, <laughs> although we're talking about Ghostbusters property, and outside of the first one, it's not like the two in 2016 were full of yucks. So I guess it's a good trend, but... We got one! And you will see... God damn it. Matt, what's the name of that chick from... Uh... Up, in the, up in the air. Yeah, No, what was the name yeah. of the chick from um, Pitch Perfect? What the hell's her name? God damn it. Which one? Anna Kendrick? Anna Kendrick? Yes, yes. Watch Up in the Air and watch Anna Kendrick and the way she evolves. We got one! But it's getting old, guys. <laughs> I don't know, Matt Adam. To me, he see... Go ahead. Nope, that's you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Adam, to me, Paul Rudd's Jason, that candy that you and I saw him in for the first time when we saw Overnight Delivery. Remember when we went to that piece of shit? Oh, my God. Paul Rudd with Reese Witherspoon. Witherspoon. Yes. Holy shit. We got one! This is also when we podcast. For bringing up the Chucky.
Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're stepping over we're stepping over each other like that State Park Marshmallow Man destroying New York at the end of the first movie. <laughs> uh, we're a little rusty. What can we say? Uh, this is when we meet podcast. <laughs> this is That's when we meet podcast. No, it's not. We got one. I've seen a proton attack before, and again. I hate to sound like an asshole, because I, I know no matter what I say about Ghostbusters, I'm going to piss somebody off. <laughs> this is the ultimate, no, like, to quote Star Trek, this is the ultimate no-win scenario. <laughs> this is your co-brushing way. Yeah. <laughs> so what were you going to say? You're just going to stop? <laughs> <laughs> no, he wins. Say, it, it's fine. It, they... they a CG laser laser knocks over some bottles. Like, no, no, am I, I looking, thought. I, no, I thought you were setting up that you were going to say something pretty mean, but you just left it at that. So I was just, I was just trying to expand. Uh, on I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get very mean towards the end of this. All right, cool. all right, Adam, you go ahead and go, sir. What did you feel about the scene? We got one. Go you know, you could have had something about science versus faith here that I think could have been a sweet little sentimental moment as well. But I think they're playing it safe, you know, in, the, in that kind of regard. When it gets to it, I had fun. And when they're doing the proton pack and setting it up, yeah, I have a fun time with it. I, I laughed when you said that, and I, and I have to explain why. Because you're saying you wanted this movie to become Prometheus. I love Prometheus. <laughs> Same. Yeah, you're oh, oh, that's that right. You, you don't like the other one. Oh, I hate yeah. I hate Alien C word, and that's what I call that one. But I love Prometheus. <laughs> um, we got one. I like that. Nothing scary, but Matt, something that at least makes you think of it. Yeah, Matt, your um your connection kind of cuts cuts out every once in a while. I don't know. Um, like I can't really hear you sometimes. I don't know what that is, but. Sure, um, you're telling me this now. Yeah, <laughs> you know it. It didn't really. It, I, I, I. The more it was going on, I, I knew I could work around it. But that that last answer, I can't. So I was well, just telling right. you right now. It's because I was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Fucking asshole. We got. Damn it, I missed you guys. I missed you guys. We cut to Cali. We got. Like, it's just, yeah, no, it, yeah. Phoebe tells Callie that she's a sign. Oh, wait, hold on. Um, God damn it. I lost my place. We were in that fucking thing so much that I lost my- Okay, here we go. Here comes one of my favorite parts. We got one! Venkman holding up cards and people guessing the cards. Guess what? This time it is, I almost said Ripley. God damn it. <laughs> It's very late. Um, this is Dana holding up the cards. We got one! They literally did this just like Harold the Duck. When at the end of... Well, God damn Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck. Howard. What did I say? Yeah. Did I Harold. say Harold? That's Harold. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to bring it back to Guardians again, but... It's, say, Harold, say Howard the Duck again, please. They did this just like they did Howard the Duck. We got one! Why should you not trust a podcast? Because they make up everything. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. 
Yeah, this should be fun. Oh, shit, <laughs> two hours damn. 40. What the fuck? I know. What are we thinking? <laughs> Laura's like, how long are you going to go? I'm like, ah, an hour. <laughs> we got one! You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget... Shut up! I'm wasted.